Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello and welcome once again. Where the big boys play has come back to podcasting. Right, Chad? Uh, yeah, this one is on me on this delay. We had a lot of problems on my end between internet uh left my notes that were just a baby of issues but we're uh, back back at it that's the best one ever we were all set to go last night and chad left his notes at work (laughs) (laughs) um we got a lot to uh, get through today we're um reviewing clash of the champions 12 um but before we get into any of it um we also need to mention that we have had a change of home we haven't really address this on air yet have we uh chad properly no no um do you want to explain uh how to find us on itunes because um i have a feeling that a lot of our listeners out there may not may not realize uh, that this has changed over and they're probably still waiting for the next episode um whenever it was that we that we broke off um i can explain from my from, from my from my end that um this was coming for a while i had a uh I won't get into the ins and outs of it, but I had a lot of problems with my particular web host, to say the least. Uh, right, Chad? Yeah, um, you've had a kind of bevy of issues where we would crash the page that you had, and they would, uh, quite frankly, a lot of stuff they were saying just wouldn't make sense. And um, they would. I mean, they would say, like, we were sharing it too much or something like that. We, we were taking up too much server server space, too many right. people were downloading episodes and stuff. And, you know, it's not like we got millions of listeners here, Crash. But no. uh, the upshot is, is that without any warning at all, they closed my account, took all the files away, um, and that was it. So, um, but we, uh, being the organized sorts that we were, that we are, <laughs> uh, had already made a provision for this. Um, so we were on SoundCloud already, right? Yes, thank God. And finally, we were able to get an iTunes feed with uh, SoundCloud. So we are on iTunes. Um, it's just a case of finding us on there. <laughs> yeah, so far with iTunes, our, our moniker is called the PTBN Wrestling Network, which is Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. Now, for some reason, and I am going to send in a, a support request on this. If you search that exactly, and that's the name of our uh, pod feed and our we're the author. Uh, but if you search that in iTunes, it won't come up for some reason or another. So if you are having trouble uh, finding us through the iTunes, the easiest way to go right now is to just Google where the big boys play. Uh, in the podcast, actually, if you just Google where the big boys play, we're the first one there, Barf. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that takes you to our main page over at placetobenation.com. And uh, from there, each episode that we post there uh, has a link to the new iTunes feed. 
And that iTunes feed will get you uh, new episodes of Titans of Wrestling, Goodwill Wrestling, Wrestling with the Past, Where the Big Boys Play, and the Brad and Chad Show. So uh, you'll have a ton, a ton of listening uh, pretty much weekly. Yeah. And some of the best uh, wrestling shows on the internet, right? (laughs) Even (laughs) if we do say so. Um, Yeah, I will say, take that, Eric Bischoff. (laughs) <laughs> Where the big boys play, we come up first there. It's not yeah. none of your Kevin Nash or... So, <laughs> that's good. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. So, shall we, uh, shall we get into the Meltzer? Sure. Um, and, and hopefully, from now on, um, our Meltzer Roundup is going to double up as our Torch Roundup. Um, I'll do the Meltzer, as, as always, and Chad will do the... The, chort, the torch. So, this is July 23rd, um, 1990, of course. And the I just, it was a sad bit of news, really. Tully Blanchard, um, did, did, I don't know if you picked up on this story in the torch, but um, he's been going around the church, church circuit talking about the dangers of drug abuse. He recently spoke um, at a church in Morganton, North Carolina, about how c- cocaine ruined his life. Um, and he's currently unemployed with no plans at all to return to wrestling, which seems like such a waste given that this is just 1990 uh, and it's Tully that we're talking about. <laughs> Apparently, he drew 450 people to the church, which is double their usual congregation. <laughs> so he's still he a draw. Popped the house. <laughs> he, yeah. he popped the house for the church. Um, <laughs> uh, and then this was the bit that uh, broke my heart, Chad. A collection was held for him after the service. Yeah, yeah. This is a. Uh, I, I can speak that this is a standard practice um, at any Southern uh, style church where if you have a speaker, they'll uh, take a collection for him. All oh, right. So they weren't doing it because they were worried he was homeless or something? No, yeah, no. This <laughs> is a standard practice that a collection plate will get passed around. They call it a love offering. Also, in this uh, edition of the uh, Observer, there is a transcript of an interview that Chris Cruz and Terry Funk did on WYNG Radio. Uh, it's not a very insightful interview at all, but Funk does mention that he's going to be wrestling Stan Hansen in New Jersey. Um, and uh, I love this. He was still keeping kayfabe. He was like, have you seen that bloated buffoon recently? He must be 50 to 75 pounds overweight. <laughs> so Funk Funk always working. Um, did you... Uh, See that match, by the way? Where was that match? Uh, it was in New Jersey. Um, I need to look at the listings. They have a match. I don't think. I think it was in June, maybe, of 1990. Uh, they have a match, though, in the summer of 1990 where they actually end up fighting in a river, <clears throat> uh, which is very humorous to watch. It, it must be as part of this, whatever they're promoting here, then. If they had, um, I don't know who who were they working for though, Chad. It was it was just like a little independent. Um, let me see. It shouldn't take me long to pull that up. Let's see. Oh, All right. Yeah. Well, d- d- elsewhere in this in- interview, Funk uh, tips Owen Hart to be a big star, and he mentions that Cactus Jack will. Uh, I thought this was really prophetic of uh, Funk. He said Cactus Jack will appeal to a particular niche of fans. Um, in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, Funk doesn't approve of the management of the NWA. He calls uh, Cruz crispy throughout. 
Uh, Cruz basically has nothing to say at all, but he disapproves of the race angle with JYD. Um, and uh, did you find the name of that promotion? It's uh, WWA is the name of the promotion, and it was 623-1990, the match I watched. So probably before that, the one you're talking about. Right, yeah. Um, and then uh, basically somebody asked Funk, who is the toughest wrestler he's ever faced? And I thought it was interesting who he picked out. He picked out Jumba. Mm-hmm. He picked out um, one of my least favorite wrestlers, Antonio Inoki. God. Um, and Harley Race. Uh, he also mentions Pat O'Connor. Um, and he also says that once he wrestled his brother, Dory Jr., and it was phenomenal. Uh, and then he says he doesn't think there's ever been a better ring general than Dory Jr. So keeping it in the family there. Um, I don't think we agree on with that statement uh, on this podcast Uh, no Great American Bash did good numbers they're claiming to have grossed over 150,000 on the 900 number oh god again (laughs) and that's all I've got on the uh, July 23rd anything for the torch that week Um, well uh, I don't think we gave it out during the Bash show, so I just have the Bash ratings for some of the bigger matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keller gave the main event three and three-quarter stars. He gave the Doom versus Rock and Roll Express three and a half. And then he gave the Southern Boys versus Midnight Express four and three-quarters. And the uh, average review was a seven out of ten. Um, and then he talks about, uh, I'll say... This batch of torches, I kind of praised them last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought this batch was weaker overall. Because he does, he has a lot of these kind of onion-style satire columns. Right. Uh, they're they're kind of littered in the torch with the comics and some kind of stuff like fake news uh, is in a lot of these. And I didn't find them very funny or interesting. Uh, but there was a nugget in this one where Keller kind of gave a strength and weakness analysis for Sting. And uh, he says his strengths are his entering charisma, his youth, his blend of power, agility, and skill, and his markability. And then for weaknesses, he has his interviews that he's unproven as a draw, uh, his knee, his health of his knee, and uh, his overall character. Yeah, I'd agree with all of them. Right, and uh, and also he, uh, you know, there was some the Ric Flair rumors uh, last time, and uh, this was kind of funny in the torch where he said that Flair made a deal to stay with WCW through the end of 1991, uh, which, as we'll see, <laughs> it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, right. Yeah, I th- in fact, I think that's an old story that Meltzer already has said that isn't the case. I think he's, yeah. like, last week, didn't he already say that that definitely wasn't happening? Maybe. Yes. Um, so that's, uh, that's it for this uh, issue. So then going on, July 30th, um, and Meltzer does one of his big, he does basically like a six-month State of the Union address here. But it feels, it doesn't feel like long since he's done the last one, right? <laughs> but he, he's doing these more regularly now. He says, the biggest challenge facing all American promotions right now is staleness at the top. Staleness at the top. Uh, would you agree with that? You, you, uh, given uh, how much 1990 you've seen, staleness at the top. Well, I don't think it was necessarily 
staleness and the fact that both WWF and WCW pushed, uh, tried to push two new babyface stars. Uh, I think it's more them having ready set programs for them start after they reach the top. Because I mean, I mean to me that seems like a reflection more of Rude versus Warrior, mm. which was a real stale program in the summer of 1990, uh, more than on the WCW side. Yeah, I, I actually think that it may be a reflection of the of the audiences. You know, the promotions are trying to push younger guys, but they the audiences keep on making them go back to Hogan and Flair all the time. Um, right? I mean, they tried to move past Hogan. Uh, WF did, and they had to go back to him with that earthquake angle, right? Yeah, and even, I mean, even Hogan versus Earthquake, to me, is a very good angle. Like, one of the better Hogan angles, honestly. All right. <laughs> um, now, this is one of my favorite stories I've ever read in The Observer. Okay, you ready for this, Chad? <laughs> Haku was arrested in St. Louis when he was out drinking with Brady Boone and Kurt Hennig at Pop Saloon. Jerry Bishop, a 190-pound man, asked a woman who was talking to the three wrestlers to dance. Haku picked him up by his neck and threw him against the wall. He was choking him. Four bouncers went after Haku, but they couldn't subdue him, and he had them all pinned up against the wall too. Finally, it took six police officers to pin him down. One of the police officers, who was six foot six, two hundred and eighty pounds, and a former boxer, ended up having to go to hospital after Haku bit, bit, a, bit a chunk out of his back. <laughs> Haku was arrested for battery, resisting arrest, and criminal damage of private property. Kurt Hennig ended up with twenty-one stitches after being hit in the head with a bar stool. <laughs> I just thought that was an awesome story. So that kind of uh, keeps the kayfabe sense of how big of a badass Haku is, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, Barry Horowitz uh, has recovered from an injury, only to be told by Titan that they have no pl- uh, place for him. So he's resurfaced in WCW to work jobs. Randy Cully works as Mr. X and the shadow against El Gionte. And it's funny to just note how many times that Meltzer puts terrible in brackets after all those matches. And uh, if you can imagine, uh, El Gionte is, where, is working like every, every night matches against Randy Cully under a different name. Um, there's a... Oh, this is one I wanted to ask you about, Chad. There's a four-star Sting and Luger versus Harley Race and Barry Windham match from July 21st in St. Petersburg. Have you seen that? No, I have not. I don't, I don't think that... Did that make tape, or was that just a house I, show? I, I, probably just a house show, but it's. Uh, I usually keep my eye open for like four-star-plus matches, you know, um, that I mentioned in passing. And finally, for this particular week, um, Jesse Ventura uh, is done with the WWF after a dispute with Vince McMahon over a computer game. Jesse was offered a deal by Sega to lend his name and image to a computer game, and this has caused a problem since Vince has a deal with Nintendo. And Jesse uh, would be working for what was effectively the competition. Now, Chad, because I'm a geek, I actually tracked down what this game was called. It's called um, Jesse the Body Ventura Wrestling Superstars. It was developed by DreamWorks, and it was never released. Um, But I did 
find a screenshot of the title screen. Um, and I also went, and uh, this is really getting a bit sad, but I found um, an old magazine, Sega magazine, um, called Sega Visions, issue three from winter of 1990. And it had a little advertising blurb in it and a little screenshot in there as well. And it says, um, tag team and match wrestling, uh, grab your screen in Jesse the Body Ventura Superstars, a no-holds-barred game with an astounding new level of realism. It lets you try out the exciting move and hold made famous by superstar Jesse the Body Ventura. (laughs) Um, Now, everything about this story strikes me as strange, Chad. Um, One of the strangest things is... Why was Sega trying to make a game with Ventura in it, of all people? Like, like even if Ventura was famous, he was probably not so famous for what he did in the ring. Would you agree? Do you think he was big enough to carry a whole game in 1990? No, I don't think he was. Uh, would be one of your kind of marquee names that you'd want right offhand in the wrestling business. What, what, what were the moves and holds made famous by Jesse the Body Ventura? <laughs> <laughs> like that they were selling this game off. I guess know? the full Nelson would <laughs> maybe be the only one. Um, anything in the torch for this week? Uh, yeah, actually, I think I may be a couple of issues behind, so I want to hit a couple of highlights. Um, first off, torch number 78, which I just want to comment on. He does a uh, torch talk with Jim Ross. And I know last week I said that the... Uh, the Torch talk with Eddie Gilbert was probably my favorite thing in the Torch so far. Uh, this eclipsed that. This was very good. A very candid interview with Jim Ross. Uh, for, first portion of the interview focused on Sting. Ross says that he thinks Sting could be a great champion along the lines of a Hulk Hogan. Uh, he says that he would reduce Sting's TV visibility and work on marketing his name. He also claims that like Luger is more introverted, so he says like he thinks it was a good decision to go with Sting because uh, Luger is not as keen on doing, uh, I guess, promotional appearances and stuff like that. Uh, Ross describes Ole bringing in the old guys as a stopgap and argues that they had to go in a different direction to bridge a feud for Sting uh, before they gave the belt to Sting against Flair. Uh, he also doesn't condone the race uh, race angle that was going on around this time. And he talks about how WWF is not drawing as well as they had hoped with the uh, Ultimate Warrior on top. Uh, then Keller, I thought, asked him kind of a pretty good point-blank question about uh, Ole's biggest limitation as a booker. And Raw said that his biggest limitation was from the production standpoint and that he wasn't up to date with what was currently uh, on TV and what a current TV wrestling product could look like. Uh, He claimed that Cactus Jack asked to leave the company. He said Brian Pillman would be a star, uh, barring an injury. And then he actually compares Bill Watts and Ole as uh, very alike individuals. Hmm. He defends Ole a good bit for some of his decisions, including bringing in Thunderbolt and to uh, pop that Omni show. Uh, but at the end of the day, he admits he, given the choice, he would have picked Watts uh, as a booker. And so this was just the first part of this interview. And apparently part two was in uh, like a yearbook annual that the torch mm. came out that we didn't have. But uh, 
I thought that was very fascinating so, so uh, interview. Was that essentially a shoot interview in 1990 from Ross? Well, yeah, the, the, the Torch Talks are, I mean, what I would pretty much classify as like a print version of uh, shoot interviews. I'll get to a, a couple more that he does during this stretch. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're really candid and inside that you just didn't see very much. What's a little uh, surprising about that is that wouldn't you think that Ross would get in trouble? Given that yeah, you would, you would think he'd get some heat, but I guess uh, they just don't care because he gets, um, well, I guess you'll see with who his next torch talk is. It's very interesting. <laughs> All right. Any, any, any more before? Uh... So that was the July 19th torch was that shoot interview or right. the torch talk. On the July 26th, there is uh, not really a lot of news going on. And that's one thing we can say around this period in WCW. Uh, it's pretty light as far as an angle standpoint. Uh, Keller does do a good editorial in this torch on why uh, you should become a wrestler or why somebody would become a wrestler. And uh, he also talks about how Owen Hart is 90% to be coming in, uh, which is interesting. To NWA? Yes, to NWA. Right. That doesn't happen, does it? Uh, Yes, he does actually come in a little bit. Does he? Yes. Owen Hart wrestled in WCW. I I didn't know that. Wow. Wow. It's uh, very brief. Yes, he does. It's right before he goes back to uh, WWF and kind of starts the high energy thing. Right. uh, That's the first I've ever heard of him. Do we get to see him? Uh, yes, there is There is one match I know with him that uh, made some of the footage, but I think that's actually maybe in 1991, uh, so I don't, I don't know if it'll... And it's a TV match, so I'm not sure. Right. Okay. And that's, that's it on this week. So, like I said, it's been pretty... I mean, he talks about how Orndorff's apparently going to turn on... Um, on the dudes with attitudes, but uh, there's there's just not a lot going on angle wise. Yeah, I, I I actually think the backstage stuff is more interesting than the on screen stuff at this at this moment in time uh, yeah. for sure. Um, August the sixth for Meltzer, lots of stuff about NFL testing coming in for steroids, and um, there's loads on that whole situation in wrestling here. Let's not bother ourselves with it. I think um, we've all kind of already given our thoughts on steroids, but He's got several pages of, of it. Uh, there's an update on the Ventura situation. Um, apparently he wanted to sign this contract with Sega enough that he was willing to leave the WWF over it. Um, which, um, again, is really weird. Like he, want, he wanted to leave his job as the lead color commentator for WF on TV for, what, three hours a week minimum? To right. be to make this really shitty game that never came out, I don't understand it. It's really strange. Um, it's such a crap thing for Ventura to leave over. Um, there are many competing reports on the Haku bar fight story. Meltzer gives uh, several different accounts of it there, which are all quite funny to read. But um, I won't go into all of them. Um, Meltzer says that Jeff Warner from Maximum Overdrive. Um, do we see Maximum Overdrive on the show? I think we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, versus the Steiners. 
uh, he says that Jeff Warner from that team was far and away the worst wrestler on the Portland circuit, and the standard is a lot lower there than it is in the NWA. So he <laughs> he, he can't understand why they've uh, hired him at all. Um, yeah. The Master Blasters or the Master Blasters, Master Blasters, uh, um, they're a new team coming in. Featuring a six foot seven bouncer that Jody Hamilton found in Atlanta. Wonder who that could be. <laughs> I like how he gives his, uh, <laughs> I guess, kayfabe or non kayfabe height here, since you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. And uh, I, t- I tell you what's, um, I tell you what's uh, funny about this is that the other, the tag team partner of that team, Meltzer has no idea about him at all, and week after week he gets no scoop on this guy. Uh, which yeah. is which is quite funny to to watch. Um, the Fantastics, that's Bobby and Jackie Fulton, came in for a show and they were booed very loudly. Uh, they're failing to get over in every way, apparently. And the NWA are talking about trying to get Jesse Ventura in on commentary. Yeah, uh, the the uh, August second torch is when he talks about Ventura leaving. And uh, Wade does an editorial on uh, Sid as Sting's first challenger and kind of goes through all the options for that. And uh, Keller argues that Sid hasn't been billed as world champion material and that him losing in 15 seconds to Luger on that last clash didn't do him any favors, which uh, I would agree with that. Yep. And and then he figures uh, his kind of hypothetical booking would be that it would be Sting be some bridge fuse with Hanson and Vader, and then that it'll eventually be Sting versus Luger at Starcade '91, which is uh, not too far off, really, from kind of what happens in a little bit. Um, he also says that as of right now, Starcade is slated for the Saint Petersburg, Florida arena. Which, as we'll see, is not the case. <laughs> and then he has a torch talk. And do you want to guess who the torch talk is with, Parf? It could be anyone. Uh, no idea. Jim Hurd. <laughs> he has a he has a torch talk interview with Evil Jim Hurd. He does. He has the torch talk with Jim Hurd. This is torch number eighty. Uh, Hurd says his, a first flat out ask him what his wrestling background is. Hurd says that his background is producing shows in certain areas around the country and also working under Sam Mushnick. Uh, he talks about the negotiations that occurred with Tolly and Steamboat. Um, now, he said Tolly had some weird Coca Cola sponsorship that <laughs> I guess. The royalties, he didn't quite get into great detail. And th- and this Torch Talk is a lot more tongue-in-cheek than the Ross one overall. But but at the end of the day, he says that they would have ended up getting the short end of that deal. So that's why they broke off, uh, you know, communications with Tully. And they hadn't negotiated anything since. Tully did not have a Coca-Cola sponsorship. Uh, not that I know of. He may, he may have had some relationship with Coke. But, um. Yeah, and then with Steamboat, he said they were uh, thousands of dollars apart, money-wise. Right. Uh, he admits that the ding-dongs were a mistake, and that he pushed the entertainment narrative too far when he first come in. But, uh, but then, uh, towards the end of the... Uh, 
Well, he also denies that WCW was trying to purchase the USWA or the AWA. But but then uh, Keller starts kind of pressing him on the race angle. And he kind of keeps repeating this line that it's a free country. And he talks about how they didn't get nearly as many complaints as like when Terry Funk did the bag over the head angle. Hmm. Uh, but he says this, it's a free country line kind of more than once. And it, it was right at the end, and this was a pretty abbreviated torch talk. It's probably only like a 10 or 15-minute conversation. And uh, Keller doesn't really push him too hard on that, but that sounds like kind of a cop-out to me. Well, what does he mean by that? That's a free country. What I is? guess just that well, somebody could say whatever they want and that freedom of speech or whatever. Um, that's really weird that Jim Hurd would even do that. Um, yeah, that's why I said I don't know how much he, like, Ross would get because the uh, director of the company was going to do a torch talk in two weeks, so. Jesus Christ, did, did he ever interview Vince? Can you can you imagine Vince even allowing anything like this to happen? I, I don't know, I mean. I know, I can't remember if it's 91 or 92, somewhere around that time. Uh, Keller and I think Meltzer too actually went and toured Titan Towers. Like Vince invited him to come tour Titan Towers. Wow! I, uh, did he so, did he keep kayfabe? I I think that Jim Hurd was kind of keeping kayfabe ish. Yeah, he he kept a little more kayfabe. I mean, I'm sure I know Vince never did a torch talk. Like I'm positive of that. Uh, now, I mean, Keller, like on the latest Steve Austin podcast, Keller talks about how Vince will call him up uh, from mm. time to time, but um, he, he's a little more uh, behind the curtain than I guess Heard was here. Yeah. Okay. That's really uh, surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised to see it. Uh, any Anything else? Uh, that's it for that one. So I, uh, I'm on August 13th. Have you caught, caught up on your end? Okay. Well, I'm on August 9th if you want me to go ahead and Yeah, do yeah, the, you do okay. that one. Okay, so uh, on the uh, torch number 81, which is the August 9th edition, WWF is actually running a house show the night of Halloween Havoc at the Rosemont Horizon. Uh, and I looked it up, and they actually did run a show that night, so they kind of... Digging in to uh, WCW a little bit because WCW was in Chicago for Havoc. And uh, the AWA champ, Larry Sabisco, was apparently bound for the NWA at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he also rumors, he says that the Black Scorpion is rumored to be Sid uh, at this point. And then he talks about uh, Jim Hurd wanting a lot of new talent, like Maximum Overdrive, the Nasty Boys, uh, etc. at the Clash. Buddy Roberts on the Clash is supposed to be a one-shot deal. And then he talks about the Pearl, uh, the Pearl wrestler, which I've talked about him before, but that's a real humorous match to watch, which is basically Roger Ross doing a great mood gimmick. Uh, <laughs> A classic match to watch from 1990. Um, Ranger Ross, right? Still around as the Pearl. Yes, as the Pearl, doing karate moves. Brilliant. I'll have to watch that. I still haven't seen it. And uh, that's it for this edition. So a real light edition. Uh, Well, August 
13th now, uh, the NWA confirmed a start on WGN Chicago on September the 15th. It will carry a customized broadcast, as will the KTVU in San, San Francisco. Um, either, and this is he's talking about the Chicago show here, either it will be an NWA Pro with different voiceovers for the Chicago market, or it will be a whole new TV taping. Uh, the KTVU show uh, will also be pro with voiceovers, and they are they are already doing a version of this for WPIX in New York, where uh, Jim Ross and Paul Lee do do the voiceovers. Um, and I guess that's just kind of standard localized uh, programming, right, Chad? Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and um, it was usually uh, I know at WGN eventually would be uh, Michael Hayes and Lance Russell would kind of co-host that show. Right. Um, but Meltzer does talk about them as being reasonably significant. It'll, it'll you know, boost them in those particular markets. Uh, it's just another set of eyeballs to, to, to get at. Um, Meltzer puts the um, McMahon-Ventura fallout down to personal stubbornness on the part of both men. He basically reckons that neither of them care that much, but that they're not going to back down, basically. Um, right. You know, it's just a battle of the wills there. Right. Um, which is an ongoing, which is basically the story of the relationship of those two, um, if you know anything about Ventura. Um, TV ratings now. I thought this was quite interesting. Primetime that week, WF Primetime drew 3.2, WCW 2.9. All American WWF drew 2.2, Power Hour a main event 2.2, neck and neck pretty much. Yeah, um, not not too far off at all. Um, the only thing I question about that though is is the 2.2 that Power Hour is drawing as big as that 2.2 that All American is drawing? Because you know those ratings are relative, right? That's right. It. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be according to when. Well, now, I mean, I'm not sure at this time, and I'm sure somebody can clarify it, uh, but I, I don't know if they were running Power Hour. Uh, I know they were running it Friday night, but I'm not positive if they were also rerunning it Saturday morning because I know the Saturday morning Power Hours, when I first started watching WCW in late 91, that's uh, when I was watching it in 1991, was on Saturday morning right after a Bonanza uh, rerun. But I'm not positive. But, but my understanding of these ratings, Chad, is that um, the 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 rating is a percentage of the overall number of people watching, of the total possible who get the network. So, and my thought is that the total number of the USWA viewers is probably bigger than the total number of the TV. Yeah, that's that goes into it, and then you also have a rating which call which is called a share. Which means of all the people that were watching TV at that time, this is the amount that were watching the wrestling show. Uh, so there's kind of convoluted. Okay, so I mean, were they? Can we say those are neck and neck, or are we assuming that the WF numbers are bigger? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't think though. At this point in time, I mean, WCW uh, Power Hour was on the Superstation, right? It was on the Superstation, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that would have been national by this point in time. Uh, it should have had as much reach. Okay, fine. I'll. I'll uh, I, my understanding was that uh, US, uh, 
my understanding is that the USA network is just a bit of a bigger station than TBS. Oh no, no, I would, I don't, I wouldn't think so at this point in time at all. No. Okay. Um, now, <laughs> this was another story. Uh, the ongoing training of uh, El Guillante here. Um, now he's scheduled to be in a battle royal. Okay. Um, but he'd never even seen or heard of a battle royal before. Yeah. Uh, so backstage, apparently, they were trying to explain to him what it was. And no matter how many times they explained it, he just couldn't get grasp the concept of oh, the Battle yeah. Royal. <laughs> um, Ivan Koloff debuted for the NWA on yeah, August the 18th and looked ancient. Um, apparently, Hector Guerrero also came in and he's trimmed down to uh, 190 pounds which is really small. Um, and uh, our buddy James, Chad, sent us uh, the appearance of Ivan Koloff in that brief run that he was there. <laughs> so I still haven't watched it yet, but it's on my to-do list. Um, and finally, the Pearl is no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he only had that one match, as far as I know. I need to look that up on Graham's site. But... So that was that all of a week? Well, I think it was just one match as the Pearl, yeah. So it was not a uh, not a long tenure for uh, Ranger Ross. So my next date is August 20th. Okay, and uh, well, I have the August 16th, and Terry Taylor did a torch talk, uh, which is mainly about his WWF run, but it's really good. He kind of goes in depth of the limitations and how he felt about the Red Rooster gimmick. And then uh, you could tell around this time that uh, Keller and Eddie Gilbert were pretty uh, tight with each other because there's a lot of interviews and editorials and just kind of a bunch of stuff on Eddie Gilbert from around this time, but he was already back in USWA. Uh, Keller says the September house shows will be main event, main evented by uh, Steam versus Wyndham. Which uh, I looked that up, and it's actually Sting versus Flair is what actually happens. And then he has this uh, columnist named Ray Welty, who does an article called "The Ring Rumblings." Mm-hmm. And in and in this uh, and in this issue, he analyzes WCW veteran talent, and it's it's an okay piece, but uh, I, I didn't think it was very good. And I think as we get further along in the nineties. Keller starts kind of filtering out uh, those type of articles and gets better, I guess, editorials in. So, and I did look it up, and that is the only Pearl match. So there you have it. Right. If you had to give a star rating that Pearl match, Chad. Oh, it was uh, it was the next to worst match I watched in 1990 <laughs> when I did it when I watched all of 1990. There's only one match that we will be watching coming up on a uh, upcoming clash that's worse than that, in my opinion. God. Okay. Well, well August the 20th. And I, I, I still can't believe, by the way, that WCW didn't have tighter reins at this time on, like, guys talking to... Like, I mean, were they treating Keta like a legit press or something? Because or, these seem to be shoot interviews to me. Seems really odd that they're openly breaking kayfabe like this. Yeah, I mean, WWF had the gag order on, so none of the uh, Torch talks so far have been with any WWF talent. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, 
shouldn't they be keeping a tighter rein on this? Well, I guess not um, if uh, Jim Hurd himself is talking to them. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I think Terry Taylor talking about how he's ready for a fresh start and kind of given what, you know, seems like his honest thoughts on how shitty the Red Rooster gimmick was, to me, that doesn't seem like bad press for WCW. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Okay. I mean, he seemed genuine. I mean, I think that's the type of thing where, you know, he could kind of crap on that gimmick. And in the Torch Talk, he was pretty articulate with describing the shortcomings of the gimmick. But it's it, like, that gimmick was so bad, he doesn't really come off as bitter either. I think Terry Taylor is probably one of the uh, cleverer wrestlers of this era. Seems like you know, a guy who's got some intelligence about him. Um I guess we can get into it later, but he's probably a guy who we can safely say never fulfilled any any of his potential um, in his career. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think he didn't really reach his potential. Sure, yeah. He, he was very good at burning his bridges. Is the is the impression I get? Like yeah. he pissed at, he pissed a lot of people off, um, and then got lumbered with really shitty gimmicks and things. Um, anyway, August the twentieth. Uh, Meltzer has no clue as to who the Black Scorpion might be, but makes Steve Kern the most likely candidate. Um, he argues for using Bobby Eaton or a member of Doom in the role, given that they don't have a match that night. Um, and he says also that today's fans perceive all masked men as jobbers, so he thinks the whole angle is horrible because uh, the fans think that people in masks are jobbers. Good point, do you think, or...? Uh, well, I mean, it's been years since, I mean, I can't even remember who the last, I guess, heavily pushed mass wrestler would have been. Um, mass superstar, probably Mr. Wrestling number two. Yeah, he's, got, he's got a point, hasn't he? But, but I don't, I mean, I don't know, like, who came on after them and failed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, Well, I, I just think it's years of, you know, think of how many shitty masked guys we've seen. In the mid-80s. Like, um, what's his name? Jack Victory, for example. Yeah, I mean, he was just doing all sorts of jobber gimmicks under a mask, so that is that is true. Or like Mr. Uh, Mr. Dr. X, who's wrestling against, uh, you know, Randy Cully is working as a right, jobber. Right. Uh, Buddy Rose is the executioner in that WrestleMania match. Um, he's under a mask too, right? Yes, so, he is. I uh, mean, that was a gimmick they used when they wanted to use someone but didn't want it to be known who it was. Uh, but but I, I don't think there's been much track history of them really trying to push a mass wrestler and them failing uh, since, like, the mass superstar. Is, uh, is Rey Mysterio the only real, I guess, Kane? Kane and Rey Mysterio. Like, I'm just thinking, like, you know, since since then, how many masked La Parker, to an extent? Uh, I wouldn't call him really pushed. I would say Rey Mysterio and Kane are probably your two, uh, and then, honestly, probably maybe Ultimo Dragon, number three, unless I'm blanking on someone. Yeah. Oh, uh, Liger? And I don't even think he was that pushed stateside. I mean, he would come in as like a special attraction. He wasn't but... a pure jobber, though, right? He was like. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, even like, I wouldn't call a park a jobber, but yeah. as far as like getting primo singles 
time. I mean, and Liger was always pushed as a special attraction. He never even really had an extended stint. Okay, well, um, he argues, he, he has a couple of other argue, arguments here. He, he reckons that maybe they should use Terry Taylor under the mask. Um, debuting him in that role, he, he reckons that basically in the, in the role that they've got planned for him, which is basically being on the losing side of a tag bow, um, it will make fans think of him as the jobber that they saw in WWF. You know, he's coming off this red rooster gimmick, so you, you're basically burying him, putting him in the losing side of the tag match here, in the opening tag match. Um, so what they could, Meltzer's kind of fantasy booking idea is making Taylor the Black Scorpion um, work a no contest with Sid running in and then have Sting unmask the Scorpion to reveal Taylor as a way of going Taylor over. Do you like that idea? I mean, I think that'd be fine, but I don't think Taylor's really a uh, main event level heel. Uh, Keller has an idea coming up that I like better. Um, and Meltzer's got another one of these big State of the Union things now. He seems to be busting them out every couple of issues. Um, yeah. But I actually thought that this is some some actually interesting thought. He, he breaks it down. He says, um, these are the issues that uh, Ole Anderson is facing. And he, he kind of does an assessment on how he thinks Ole is doing as a, as a, as a booker. He says, uh, number one, talent. Okay. Um, so since 1989, they've lost Steamboat, Funk, Muta, Steve Williams, Gordy, the Row Warriors, Dan Spivey, and Shane Douglas. And they've replaced them with Mean Mark, JFD, Drunk Food Dog, El Giante, Paul Orndorff, Arn Anderson, the Southern Boys, Barry Windham, and Rock and Rolls. So it looks like the company is not making progress, if you just look at the talent. Um, and I think you'd have to more or less agree with that, uh, looking at that list of names. Secondly, um, exposure. The expansion to the new channels is very good, he says. The problem is that now, and I, I really like this line, this is one of the best lines I've seen Meltzer write. Uh, now that they have exposure, they are being exposed. I thought that was quite neat. Um, so basically, uh, now they've got all this, that people are actually seeing their TV product and deciding that it's not very good. Um, one of the big problems is that production values pale in comparison to the WWFs. Um, gaffs frequently make it onto the air. For example, Lou Perez uh, was doing an interview uh, for a match uh, with Arn Anderson on Sunday that aired the previous night. So this match had already been on air, and he was doing an interview about it upcoming. Uh, so there's a lot of schoolboy errors like that, which is something that we've seen all the way through, really, even since the Crockett days. Um, they still haven't got it right. Um, thirdly, house shows. The crowd is still down. The, P the B team shows have done more consistent business, so that's a plus for Ole. But um, it's still not good business. Um, the A shows are up. Uh, a little bit, but they are coming off basically an all-time low. Uh, also, Sting's return didn't draw. Finally, uh, television. Cable ratings are good, uh, not because the product is good, but because Jim Hurd is able to get consistent time slot, which has always been a problem for, you know, they're not moving around in the schedules at all. Um, still, uh, the last clash was the second lowest rated ever. And uh, long-term direction is another point that he's got here, 
is there any? And he looks at things like Brad Armstrong playing the Candyman. Is that something that you saw? I have no knowledge of the Candyman. <laughs> yeah, well, he uh, actually on the Clash he gets introduced as the Candyman. Does he? Yeah, it's not. It's not really a. Uh, I mean, it's not like he's a different gimmick. It's just the Candyman, Brad Armstrong, which right. I don't. I don't know what that means. But. That's one little thing that uh, Melter pulled out there. Um, yeah. And then there's there's still more in this uh, issue. Flair and Heard are set to have a meeting in which Heard uh, is going to try to convince Flair to change his character. No details yet. Larry Zabisco will not be working for the NWA as originally planned because Vern Garnier insisted um, that he wanted to be promoting his show on TBS. <laughs> so Vern wanted to promote AWA on using TBS uh, right. screen time. <laughs> Typical Vern. Um, and he said that last year's Funk Flair I Quit match was probably the most viewed match in the history of cable TV from start to finish. So this year's Clash has got a lot to live up to. And that takes me up to August 27th. Okay. If you want to go ahead with that one, because uh, the only other one was Torch 83, and it just had a few uh, tidbits about Steve Kern and Larry Sabisco, so you've already covered that. Well, the big news in uh, August 27th is that Pat O'Connor died, and uh, we get a pretty good uh, obituary from Meltzer. He's he's good at those. Um, And this is something that tickled me a little bit, Chad. Um, in a strangely ironic twist of fate, Roddy Piper and Jesse Ventura were, were due to star in a TV pilot called Tag Team. Uh, they'd already filmed it, and it was set to air soon, but it's been cancelled. Um, and that's ironic because Piper was the man who replaced Ventura on commentary at this time. Right. Um, Ventura's main gig for the rest of the year will be doing commentary for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the NFL. And I went and fa- I found that uh, episode of Tag Team. Somebody put it on YouTube. Um, I haven't been able to watch it, though, have you? I have not. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Piper and Ventura and Tag Team. Let us know if you've seen that. Um, Meltzer has, still has no idea who the second Master Blaster will be. Uh, Ivan Koloff is already through. No details on why. Uh, Bill Irwin is coming in for a week. Um this is, uh, I found pretty funny. Art Bar's father has told people in Oregon that his son is the Black Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> um, Meltzer has some criticisms of Jim Ross, uh, which I thought was interesting. And uh, now that you've told me that he, um, he did that interview with Keller, is this Meltzer kind of getting his own back here? You know, maybe if uh, he's, started, he's got a whole bit of criticizing Ross on commentary. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't think so at this time because him and Keller were tight back then. Um, well, basically, uh, he says that Ross's commentary is being dogged at the moment by the fact that he's constantly trying to get the line of the week out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's also not even doing a good job with what is traditionally his core strength of giving guys backgrounds. For example. Uh, a guy with a career as storied as Koloff's was simply called a real ring veteran by Ross. So he didn't really get over Ivan Koloff in the brief appearances that he made. Um, also, his comments are very predictable. Um, and then following this, Meltzer gives us a 10-point critical beatdown of the whole TBS package, which I won't go through in full. Um, but one of the things that he did pull out was that he doesn't like the amount of 30-second interviews that we're seeing now. 
Uh, and I think I agree with him. They're not very good, are they? Uh, yeah, this was not a good time overall uh, in WCW for really uh, good promos, as you'll see, watching the footage week in, week out. Um, and then my final one is uh, September the 3rd. Have you got one in between? Yeah, I have one from August 30th, which talks about the uh, the Steiners winning the U.S. tag titles. And uh, they won that at a Meadowlands house show. And Sid apparently has some pretty big heat backstage and is missing some dates. Uh, Keller says that the Steam versus Flair rematches are getting good reviews. And then he did a uh, another editorial on 10 ways to make Steam a star. Most are, I won't go into all of them, but most of them are kind of marketing ploys. And Keller kind of has this thing where he wants Sting to change his name. Like, he is not a fan of him just being named Sting. So he <laughs> lists that as, like, the first problem uh, that Sting is correct. What does he want to change his name to? to? I don't know. He doesn't really offer up, uh, he, he says just even the Stinger would have been better. I think he thinks it's kind of too closely linked to the police, right? But but I I, I don't know. He he's it's kind of one of those weird kind of Keller Clark uh, quirks that he gets on. But uh, but that's that. That's uh, it for Torch number eighty four. That's a really weird idea that Sting should yeah. change his name. It, yeah. it is it is something that Capetta mentions that uh, it's difficult to announce a guy's name with one syllable in it. Right. Um, and if you notice, Meltzer, uh, Capetta always says, this is, he always announces it, this is Sting, doesn't he? Cause, uh, yes. Um, that Flair Sting match that you mentioned at the Meadowlands card, Meltzer gave four and a quarter, by the way, in the September 3rd. I actually thought that whole card looked really good. It looked like a pay-per-view quality event, that. Yeah, um, now, did we ever figure out whether this is Meltzer actually watching this show, or is it somebody sending in a report? Well, I've, if anybody knows how Meltzer got his ratings back in the day, let us know, because he can't possibly have seen all of the matches that he rates in every week. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds like maybe somebody sent in a card, because I know with some of them... I mean, later on, he'd get pretty good at saying, like, it was reported as a, you know, whatever star match. But in some of the early days, I know he would just kind of throw out ratings out there, and it's unclear whether he actually went or whether it's somebody sending them in by fax. I can see him going to the Meadowlands. Uh, it's, it's not completely unheard of for him to go to that. But, like, if Meltzer was doing all of these, he'd have to be, like, up in Oregon. He'd have to be... You know, he'd basically have to be flying all around the country and then be in Japan every other week, and it, it'd be impossible for him to do all of the ratings that he throws out in every episode, in every issue. Um, so there must have been some reported ratings yeah. there. Oh yeah, there definitely was. I just don't know whether there's any rhyme or reason to how you could choose which ones are and which ones aren't. I, but my impression in with Meltzer is that he always and it may just be because I'm looking out for the NWA stuff more but it seems to me that Meltzer's primary investment is with the like that seems to be his promotion that he's really really invested in and um, and Mid-South as well when it was going those seem to be the two that he's close to you know um, n n not that he's not invested in the others but he seems to be like he always seems to have lots and lots to say about the NWA in all of his editorials and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Paul Orndorff is apparently on his way out of the NWA, um, and they are thinking of possibly signing Akeem. Um, which I know they do at some at some yeah. point. Yes. <laughs> uh, mean Mark has handed in his notice. Uh, he ended it in on August the twenty seventh. He's rumoured to be WF bound, but he's in talks with the New Japan too, and that brings us to the end um, of quite. Uh, there's quite a long, uh, quite a long Meltzer roundup, but there's a big gap between um, Great American Bash and Clash. Yeah, and I actually uh, have the September sixth, which is right before Torch eighty five, is right before the Clash. Um, and and the only thing of note on that is Keller does an article where he uh, hypothesizes that Stan Hansen should be behind the Black Scorpion. And uh, it's kind of neat how he does it, where he essentially embarrasses Sid and um, kind of gives this big reveal that results in the Sting versus Hanson brawl at the Clash and uh, transitions to where it'd be Sting versus Hanson at Halloween Havoc. Not, not a terrible idea. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, he didn't do it where, like, Hanson was doing magic or whatever. It was essentially uh, Sid was going to be the Scorpion. Hanson beat him up backstage, assumed the gear, and then took it off and beat up Sting. So it's it kind of kills the ankle flat. The, the, the only problem with either of those two is that it's really obvious. Like, if you put Sting under a mask or Hanson under a mask, it's really obvious. Like, how many guys are that big? Well, well I think... Um, I mean, I, I think the way he hypothesized it, like, Sid would get beat up backstage or would actually leave, and then the scorpion would come down the aisle with a bull rope. So it was meant to be obvious who it was. Right, okay. And then, and then he'd take off the mask or whatever at some point during this brawl with Sting. So the uh, scorpion angle would be dead after the clash, and then it'd just be Sting versus Hanson. Oh, Black Scorpion, whose idea was it? Um, <laughs> anyway, lots more Black Scorpion to come on this show. Uh, he's wrestling's most respected journalist, and he's got all the wrestling news that's fit to print. It's time for the Wrestling News Network. Let's go to WNN and Gordon Soley. Okay, well, I think we're done with the news then. Um, yes. Which can only mean one thing. It's time for the Gordon Soley update. Yay. <laughs> and um, James James said this was the uh, equivalent of the mailbag for Titans, and I tend to agree with that. Hey, I tell you what, I, in the feedback I've seen, people enjoyed the Soley marathon that we did <laughs> last time. Um, and I think it's it gives us a good little look at what's going on kayfabe-wise, I think. You're like, what are the angles they're running um, in between the shows here? And um, they, these set of reports do give us quite a good view of what was going on, which is not a lot. Um, no. July the 13th, we get a recap of uh, Great American Bash, um, and um, Soli highlights the awesomeness of El Giante yet again, and a wrestler that he calls Bad Van Vader. <laughs> uh, we get a backstage interview with Soli and Sting, and then they wish uh, Brutus Beefcake a full and speedy recovery yet again. Uh, July the 22nd, Stan the Man Hansen has been suspended. Uh, he talks about how Hansen and Tommy Rich were once partners, 
And then they show a match from WCW. Um, this is the 14th, July the 14th show, where uh, Hanson throws throws Rich over the top rope to get a DQ, and then he just lariats Pee Wee Anderson and kicks him in the head. <laughs> there should be fines, there should be suspensions, and indeed there were fines. He was fined $5,000 and suspended for um, kicking in Pee Wee Anderson for no reason. Um, did you see that match? Did that make the uh, 1990 set, Hanson Rich? I don't think so. I don't remember that it, one. It looked reasonably heated. Rich was sweating, as per usual. Um, we got that same backstage interview with Sting yet again, and then in the closing note, he hypes which two wrestlers? El Gionte and Bad Van Vader. So two weeks in a row, okay. he, make, he makes the set. Nobody's telling Soli that he's getting this name wrong. Um, July the 29th, Sid Vicious attacks Tim Horner. What's going on here with WCW? So we get an angle now where the horsemen are trying to break the leg of Tim Horner and the dudes with attitude run out to make the save. I, I, did that happen? I mean, what's going on? What are the, like, why are the horsemen trying, bothering with a guy like Tim Horner? It's pathetic. <laughs> really pathetic. Rubbish. Um, and then in this same package, we get a promo from uh, July the 28th. Sting has had enough of the horsemen. JYD is there too. And then, in a terrible moment, Tommy Rich runs out, panicking. They've got Luger. He's been beat up. And then Luger comes out wearing a ragged, baggy top with some, like, mud rubbed in the back of it. It's really pathetic. It's some of the worst shit I've ever seen this. Uh, (laughs) It's like, they're trying to make out that Luger's just been mugged here. But it's so, like, just terrible costuming. Um, and uh, Soli interviews Ole Anderson, uh, who's with Sid. Ole cuts not a very good promo by his standards at all. Um, he says people and have to understand that they'll have they'll be doing this stuff for a while now, the Horsemen, until they get the title back. They're just going to be reigning general chaos. Um, my tip to the Horsemen is like they've got to be bothering with better business than breaking Tim Horner's leg, like. That's not going to bother anyone. Uh, um, August, the t- but this is like basically the stuff that was going on in the summer of WCW. Uh, the summer of 1990 is really bad time for the company. Yeah, not not a lot going on at all. Um, uh, August the 12th, Stan Hansen's back from his suspension, but we get the recap of the moment that he was suspended, where he raves like a lunatic. Sting cuts a promo on behalf of Lex Luger. And the Free Boys and the Southern Birds are now doing a best of three feud for the U.S. tag titles. <laughs> did did Gordon say that, or was that a mistake? Because you said Free Boys and Southern oh, Birds. Sorry, no, that was my that was my mistake. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, Gordon's not that far gone at this point. But no, Free Birds and Southern Boys. Okay. Um. Then August 24th, we get a shell for Clash 12, which is billed as Fall, Ball, Fall Brawl 2, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and then finally, August 31st, um, and they're getting kind of a bit more spotty now, the reports I've noticed. Um, like, there's a, wick, there's a week missing here and there. Um, we get a report on the untimely death of Pat O'Connor, the only native New Zealander to hold the title. Right. Uh, there's more shilling for Fall Brawl 2, 
Um, but notably, they're pushing the Luger Flair match rather than the Black Scorpion Sting angle. Um, he talks about the uh, Master Blasters coming in, and uh, we get an awful, and I mean this is really bad, promo video of uh, them now. And it's just two men walking through a scrap heap. Yes, yes, I have seen this. What the fuck? <laughs> you just see them from like the legs down. It's yeah, the yeah, worst. You almost, it is not good. It's just them basically walking over rubble. That's all it is. In black leather straps, like black leather pants or whatever. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Soli talks to Flair, who's in a nice suit, who calls himself the measuring stick of pro wrestling. So thanks a lot. Thanks for that, Gordon. But um, it gives us the idea that, that we're in some pretty dire times in terms of on, on-screen storytelling. Yes. So, Clash of the Champions 12, I believe September the 6th, 5th? I think it's the 5th. Yeah, it's the 5th. Um, and we're in the Asheville Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina, Flair's Backyard. Uh, and it's Jim Ross and Bob Coddle on commentary. Yeah, they've pretty much been the uh, commentary team of 1990 here. Absolutely. And uh, Coddle actually busts out a pretty good line to kick things off here. Normally the hunted, now he's the hunter. Yes, yes. Um, And Sting is on the 900 line, ready to take on the Black Scorpion. So ring that number now, kids. Yeah, (laughs) I'm We get... uh, So bad video packages is basically the theme of today's show because (laughs) we get a video package of... Uh, leather and chains, basically, and Michael Hayes singing "Bad Street Atlanta, GA." What, <laughs> what the fuck is this? It, it looks well, like that's a, a Bad Street music video, if you can believe that. It looks like a S and M video. Well, that's what the Bad Street music video essentially is. But yeah, so uh, that that leads the Freebirds out. Did the Freebirds ever get any like record sales? Were they like on MTV or anything? Oh, they're the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, yes. It's the fabulous Freebirds once again. And they're taking on the Southern Boys in, I guess, the third of the three matches. That they're uh, second. Second. Second of the third. Yep. Um, and we're told that Buddy Roberts is injured, so will not be wrestling. So originally this was meant to be a, a six-man tag with Bob Armstrong and Buddy Roberts as the, as the third man. So, but that's not going to happen. They're just going to be the seconds here. Um, Jim Ross is skeptical about the Freebirds' promotion of their musical career. Uh, and just a couple of notes going into this. Uh, we get a lot of Freebirds suck chants. Um, is that the Confederate flag that the Freebirds have painted on their faces? Yeah, that is the stars and bars that they're wearing the face paint of. Yes. So. So is that them trying to say that, they, and yeah, Robert shouts, who are the real Southern boys? Yes, they are the uh, traditional Southern boys, so. What do you think of this one, Chad? Uh, I, uh, I, I like this as an opener. Um, the early going, we did get where uh, 
And the Freebirds do this spot really good. I'll give them credit where Michael will jump into Jimmy Garvin's arms. And uh, then you get like the response from the crowd that they're gay together. That's always <laughs> one of my kind of favorite uh, little spots that they do to get the shine on them. Uh, and then uh, I like that the Southern boys would like outsmart the Freebirds in the early going. So they go for the same kind of uh, spot twice with the Armstrong uh, doing a crossbody on both of the free birds. And they act like they're going to do that same spot again and the birds duck and think they've outsmarted the Southern boys. But in fact, they get a double drop kick. And, uh, and then Hayes took over with a really nasty like left hand. Um, and then Garvin comes in and I marked out because he shouts, yeah, 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 for the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible, man. Yeah, but but I, I will say I didn't think he was too bad here. And I thought uh, Michael Hayes, again, he's having a little bit of resurgence in my eyes because I thought he looked really good here with his punches. At one point, he gives a really nasty uh, bulldog. And then we get the hot tag for the Armstrongs and uh, a kind of neat finish where Buddy Roberts gets involved, uh, shows he's not injured, which I never kind of understood, like, was he or was he not, like, legitimately injured? And if he wasn't, why they didn't just do the six-man tag? But anyway, so he gets involved, but then uh, actually a Bullet Bob comes in and whacks uh, Hayes while the ref is distracted, and then the Southern boys hit a, a shoulder block but miss one. So that was a good tease because I really thought that was going to be the uh, finish where Bullet Bob got involved. But uh, they go about a minute longer, and Buddy ends up throwing an object into the ring, but he misses, and the uh, Southern boys get a, a double sunset flip for the pin. Quite, and, uh, quite a push for the Southern boys here, re-putting them over the three birds. Yes. It, not terrible. Um, Meltzer does have a little bit on uh, why the why they didn't do the six man. Okay. He says um, it's not confirmed, but his guess is that Jim Hurd wants young uh, wants a younger looking show, and he didn't want to put the older guys in the ring. Well, I thought he brought in Buddy in the first place. <laughs> that's so stupid. But okay. It's a, well, that's his guess as to why, because yeah. it's clear that he's not injured, right? Right, that's I was yeah. confused by that, but then he, why bring him in? He went two stars on it. Yeah, uh, and afterwards, I guess we should say that Bob uh, gets a beat down, and they give him a double DDT. Uh, I actually went about two and a half stars on this. I thought it was a fun, uh, about nine-minute energetic opener, and Keller also goes two and a half stars. Yeah, I'm not giving anything with uh, Jimmy Garvin in it more than two, so... I'll, I'll stick with Meltzer here. <laughs> he was not that bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, on this show, he may have been upper half. I'll say that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, upper half performer on this show. <laughs> um, so, Shivani is with the Steiners. Oh. Who have won the U.S. titles since we last saw him. So, uh, where's first of all, where's Gordon Soley? Poor Gordon, though. He's like, literally, he's even been shunted from doing the interviews. Because uh, Shivani's taken that slot. Um, anyway, Scott Steiner stumbled... Well, even more than that, where was Lance Russell? I mean, I guess he was doing the hotline. 
But, the 900 line, right. Yeah, but you you have both of them back there somewhere, I guess, at this show. I, 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 guess, I guess Soli's sitting on the 900 line as well. Well, uh, Soli may be looking for the Black Scorpion. That sounds like a, a Soli project. <laughs> um, Scott Steiner gives a really awful, he stumbles all over his words here, classic Scott Steiner interview. Uh, Rick says they never go to the ring with any strategy at all. And they've never even heard of their opponents tonight. <laughs> um, I thought of you watching this. Joke. Yeah, this was one of the worst promos I may have ever seen. Uh, burying themselves as a team, you know, because they're idiots, because they don't even prep, and then uh, burying their opponents because they don't even know who the hell they are. So just awful all around. God. Um, shall we move on? Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, that, but th- well, I will say I think this is of all the shows we've seen. This to me, and I don't, I don't really think this feels like Steiner hating. I thought this was one of the worst promos of all the shows we've seen. This was probably one of the worst promos. Well, period. Scott Steiner was completely incoherent. He just stumbled all over his words. And Rick, yeah. Rick, Rick's lines were literally, "We never go to the ring with any strategy." And <laughs> who are our opponents? We don't know. <laughs> it's like, it's like. Promos 101. Get, your, get yourselves over, get your opponents over. <laughs> Let's bury ourselves and bury our opponents. You know? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, um, Buddy Landell now, taking on Captain Mike Rotunda. Oh, man. And uh, I've got a little something here, because Rotunda comes to the ring with Cindy Anderson. Yes. Who won the Burger King Poetry Contest to accompany Rotunda to the ring. <laughs> what and, a uh, she's got a uh, she got a nice ass on her, I have to say. Because <laughs> <laughs> the camera did linger. Did you see her? Kind of well, I, was, I was just shocked that it wasn't a uh, teenage person from England being escorted down with Rotunda. Probably. Oh, <laughs> you, you, you said. Well, I do happen to have the uh, poem that was sent in. I oh, got it here in front of me. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to read it, okay? Uh-huh. Oh, Captain, my Captain, our fearful trip is done. I've watched your career closely, all the tag titles you won. The briefcase is near, the tax tips I hear, the people all retching, as you hit the mat and work the chin, setting up for abdominal stretching. That's the poem that Cindy Anderson wrote uh, to win. Um, how many people do you think wrote That's it? what I was about to say. How many entries in a Captain Mike Rotunda poem <laughs> contest? I mean, uh, I, I, I think we're past the point where we say, you know, as a, as a hardcore wrestling fan that every, you know, wrestling fan is an unintelligent hillbilly or whatever, but... I kind of sincerely doubt there was hundreds of uh, applications for that one. So they talk about Landell's tattoo. Uh, yes, which has which some... is, is Skid Row. Yeah, do, do you know that band? Well, yeah, I mean their band uh, Sebastian Bach is the lead singer or whatever. But I, I didn't. I mean, is this a legit tattoo? Because I don't <laughs> remember seeing this. <laughs> Apparently, uh, it is, it's a horrible mistake. I'll say that. I say Land- they say Landell is good friends with Snake Sabo. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, Ross uh, mentions that Rotunda was trained by Dick Barr. 
Um, this is essentially a squash chant, right? Yeah, it's um, th- this is not this is not a good match. I don't really Landale. I kind of wanted to give the benefit of the doubt in the last show, but uh, I, I don't think, and I, I really don't think I'd seen this show. I'll say overall, I don't think I'd seen this show besides the uh, top matches, and this was a just awful, pretty much an awful match. And uh, Snake, I just looked it up, Snake Sabo is uh, guitars and backing vocals for the uh, band Skid Row. So so there you have it. But but yeah, so we get um, Coddle at the beginning said this would be a real good match, which I found humorous because it, it was not. And uh, not just not a lot going on. Um, we do get the call, like he said, that Rotunda was trained by the Destroyer, but uh, Buddy takes over at one point with an abstract, and he's just blatantly using the ropes. I mean, if the referee cannot see that he is uh, using the ropes here, I, I mean, I just don't know what to say, because it is as blatant as you can get. Uh, and then you know, there's no focus. It's very boring. Uh, we do get that the Omni, the upcoming Omni show, is going to be a Sting watch night. Uh, but then, pretty much out of nowhere, Rotunda gets a fluke backslide and uh, pins him. And I think this went about six minutes. Uh, yeah, five thirty-nine. It half, was it half, was dreadful. Half a star from Meltzer. Yeah, half a star from Chad and uh, one star from Keller. So he went a little higher. Yeah, I might go a little bit more just because it's retirement. Oh. No, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, okay. Cindy Anderson, though. Burger King Poetry Contest winner. That's the highlight of the match, reading the poem. I mean, I mean, this match just had no focus. It's kind of sad, honestly, for Landale. I mean, I, I think Landale's someone that's not one of my favorites. I feel kind of neutral in the whole debate because I know some people are really high on him and some people are really low on him, and I kind of feel in the middle. But, I mean, he seemed like somebody that at least was adequate or serviceable in the mid to late 80s. And right now, I mean, that match versus Flair, I didn't think was that bad. But, whoo, this was just dreadful. I, I also think this is by far the worst rotunda we've seen as well. Like, yeah. He's been terrible in this babyface run so far. Like just, just no, yeah, no real meaning or focus. He's just essentially there to fill out a card. So. Yeah. Um, Rotunda is getting a push here, though. Uh, so, um, it, you know, he's getting some kind of. We, I, I don't get why they want to push Rotunda as a babyface at this point. It's so stupid. Um, like, I think what the uh, when Alexander York comes in, I said a bit more towards. Rotunda's uh, strengths, I guess, if he has right. any. Uh, anyway, Shivani's with the Freebirds now, and um, Garvin is just sick of the Freebirds being treated like garbage. Um, Robert's got a promo where he shouts. He mentions Robert E. Lee, uh, Robert E. Lee, who I guess is a like a Southern hero of some sort. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say Southern hero. He was the <laughs> uh, he was the general of the Confederate Army. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, Hayes says uh, that they're still taking names and raising cane. Uh, and we're treated to a video now where the free birds are in Hollywood in their limo. Yes. They get out with a crowd cheering. Uh, they're wearing their two bob out of the cereal packet C3D sunglasses. And I thought this whole thing was embarrassing, personally. Uh, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's definitely very produced where they give the appearance of them getting, like, mauled by fans. Um, I mean, I don't know. I kind of like this a little bit because I do think it's made tongue-in-cheek to where it's like we know that this is fabricated, so we're in on the joke as a viewer. Mm. But, uh, I, I mean, it's not great by any means. Yeah, okay. Um, and now, talk about star power on your card here. <laughs> it's making their debut. The Master Blasters taking on Tim Horner and the Candyman, <laughs> Brad Armstrong. <laughs> so the Master Blasters are Iron and Steel. Who in God's name are Iron and Steel, Chad? Well, uh, Iron... Do you even know who Iron's name is? Because there's an interesting backstory with this. Um, no. Yeah, you actually have to dig for it. His name's Corey Pendarvis, is his name. Corey Pendarvis. That is Master Blaster Iron. <laughs> right? Uh, now, he competed, as far as I know, and Cage Match only has him listed as competing in one professional wrestling match. Period. So uh, we we see the beginning and end of his career right here in one night. This is it. This is the, this the is only. It. Oh my for, god! For for Master Blaster Iron, apparently he quit the business afterwards. Oh, so, the, the, uh, this possibly explains why Meltzer's just got nothing on. Like Meltzer, literally, just has no. He was like, for the life of me, I can't understand letting these guys make their pro debuts on a show of this caliber. But he he never. He says the the taller guy was okay for a first match. The smaller guy was pretty bad. Um, yeah, so that was Iron, the smaller guy, who quit. Yeah. Uh, now, he'd be replaced with Master Blaster uh, Blade, and we'll get to him when he pops up. But uh, Master Blaster Steel will be someone that we'll watch uh, pretty much all the way through to the end of our run here, uh, except for a couple of... Stints where he leaves, and uh, that's Kevin Nash. Mm. As Master Blaster Steel. I wonder what became of him. Yes, so we'll we'll follow him definitely a, a good bit. And here, but I would say that I thought he looked. Uh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say he looked good, but uh, he certainly looked better than his uh, his his partner. And uh, actually, Tim Horner and uh, Brad Armstrong had a little tag team. They were called the Lightning Express. So they were kind of a little jobber tag team. But uh, Nash starts by deadlifting Horner, and then he just drops him. So he doesn't even know what to do with him. And then uh, (laughs) Master Blaster Iron gives probably one of the worst headbutts I've ever seen. The, The crowd is ridiculously dead for this uh now nash or steel whatever he does some chops and elbows which looked a little different from kind of your familiar kevin nash offense that i was used to 
but finally we get a uh, we get the hot tag for Tim Horner. Uh, Iron does an absolutely dreadful back body drop bump, <laughs> and then the uh, they they come back and get the double shoulder breaker uh, shoulder block for the win. And uh, this this may be if the Pearl match was the number two worst match I saw. In 1990, this is probably a pretty heavy contender for the number three. Chad, we, we are in the depths of WrestleCrap here with this match. What the fuck? Yeah, this is really bad. This is like, I, you know, this is the sort of thing that would make, make you even look forward to 2001 WCW. This is just <laughs> atrocious. Um, the only redeeming feature of this match that I can think of is um, the shit that Ross and Coddle are talking on commentary. Iron and Steel, says Jim Ross, came up from the steel yards. Yeah, come <laughs> <What> on. <laughs> um, there was a moment in this match where Tim Orner backdrops Iron, and I've just written here, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the worst bumps. I mean, I think I could go in and do a better bump than that. Right. <laughs> Um, and then uh, my favorite quote of the whole match, Bob Coddle. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of these two in the months and yes. years to come. Yes. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's very humorous on both ends. One, because the one guy quit immediately. Yeah. And other, because, I mean, it really is amazing that both with this gimmick and uh, Kevin has a couple more coming up that we'll get to watch in all their glory. Uh, it's really amazing that he became something. I mean, I mean, he was saddled with just some absolutely. I think more than anybody else, he was saddled with some awful gimmicks. Oh, this Master Blaster stuff was atrocious, though. Um, I I actually like aside from the terrible execution, and everything else. I had a problem with the way this match was booked. It should have been a thirty-second squash match. So why was why was Horner Armstrong getting um, offense? Yeah, they got a hot tag. It's bizarre. It's like, right, if you're going to bring these guys in as like, you know, some 10th rate road warrior knockoffs or whatever they were meant to be. They were kind of like a bit powers of painsy, I guess. Right. Um, at least put them over in a quick squash. Hide their weaknesses or whatever. So, yeah, um, dud from Meltzer. Oh, I can, I'm shocked he didn't go negative. Um, Keller gives this a dud, too. Uh, I would give it a dud, and I'll just preference that by saying, I've said before, I don't give negative stars. I probably give as many five-star matches as I give dud matches, because I usually at least find something slightly redeeming to give it a half a star. Uh, but yeah, this gets a dud. This is a contender for the worst match that you and I have watched, Chad. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it. that. Yeah. Um, let's move on because it's depressing me. It's actually giving me a headache to think about it. Uh, <laughs> Tony Schiavone is with Flying Brian, who asks him who the Black Scorpion might be. Uh, Pillman doesn't know. However, there's a new concept, the Gauntlet. That's three executive bouts on Power Hour, WCW, and Main Event to win $15,000, and Pillman will be the first to run it. And Chad, I thought this was an awesome concept. Yeah, I, it's it's cool in execution too. 
Uh, it's something that I don't really know why WWE currently doesn't do it. Uh, just something on uh, Raw and Main Event and SmackDown, and they explain it really well, too, where, you know, if, if the person's able to run through the gauntlet, they get $15,000, uh, but if they fail, then whichever opponent, you know, beats him, and then whoever's left splits the pot. So there's there's kind of some financial stake there that they bring up, which is nice. I think this is one of the strongest little concepts I've thought about in a while because not only does it give you a reason to follow the guy, so Pillman in this case, but it gives you a reason to watch each of the three shows as well. It's like it's genius. I really like it. Um, and it's very short-lived. I mean, it does not last that long, which I don't know why they got away from it. Was this idea ever resurrected ever again, to your knowledge? I've, I've never heard of it. Uh, when I was watching the 1990 footage, we actually didn't see the uh, Flying Brian gauntlet, but we saw a couple of others, uh, one including Scott Steiner, and um, and I thought it was just an incredibly neat uh, concept. To, to talk about the diamond in the shit here, Chad, buried among all this total crap that we're watching. There's this one little good idea. So, um, yeah, somebody should do that. And they could do it now, couldn't they? Like oh, you said. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something they could. I mean, they have like their little gimmicks that they do on certain standalone episodes, like Beat the Clock is a concept they do, Raw Roulette. But this is something I don't know why they don't bring back. I mean, they don't talk about money either, but... Uh, but it's something that I think works on a kayfabe sense. I don't know. Just, you you, you, I don't. Could, you could do what's the like uh, I don't know. Uh, the first person who does it wins a shot of money in the bank or whatever it is. People yeah, care about sure. now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Missy Hyatt introduces the greatest world champion of ever. Uh, that is, of course, Ric Flair. <laughs> um, his hair is bit, so every time they do every time. They build Big Flare up now. It feels like they're chipping away at Sting, to me. Yes, it, yes. I find it really weird that they've got, like... It's almost like you're in the situation where he's bigger than the bigger than the championship on his own, um, which is a bit weird. His hair's a tiny bit shorter here, but it's not completely short at this point. Um, and he does seem more amped up tonight than he has been in recent weeks. It's a number one contenders match between him and Luger for the U.S. title. I thought Missy Hyatt was terrible in this segment. Yeah, her hair was out of control. Uh, speaking of hair, hers was all over the place. And she kind of, I mean, her interviews were where she played kind of the flirty, ditzy interviewer. Uh, didn't really work here. And if you can't flirt with Ric Flair... Who can you flirt with? That's my well, question. I mean, woman was kind of the same way. It's kind of weird where this is two times now where uh, you've had these people in 1990 that are flirting with Flair and you get no sense of chemistry whatsoever. Do you think it's, uh, this is a bit weird thing, right? But do you think like some workers can work with a ballet? Like um, even uh, hated Jimmy Garvin, right? <laughs> even he can, like, he can work with a ballet. Flair always... Oh. Tully can work with a with a valet, right? Um, even like uh, even I don't know. Well, Savage, obviously. Savage, Mark Merrow, even. Yeah. Like, so some guys can work with a valet, and other guys 
seem to struggle. And Flair, for whatever reason, whenever he's put with a woman, doesn't seem to work as well for some reason. Yeah. Even when he uh, eventually, when he has like Fifi, it's uh, it's not very good. Doesn't work. Okay. Um, so Nasty Boys taking on uh, Jackie Fulton and Terry Taylor. Uh, there's a thrown together team for you. Um, and this is Taylor, Taylor coming in, first appearance. Right. Uh, it's mentioned that uh, Bobby Fulton is abroad and that Jackie was trained by him. Um, and uh, the only, my only other note here, during this match, Chad, was Gary Michael Capetta on the phone? What was going on? <laughs> I didn't notice that. What the hell was going on there? It looked like Capetta was just like having a conversation during this match. He was speaking Spanish with El Gigante. <laughs> um, right, well, what do you think of this one? Well, this is uh, a lot of come to first-timers here. Our first time seeing the Nasty Boys. Our first time seeing uh, Jackie Fulton. Uh, Fulton, I thought, looked uh, okay, actually. Um, and uh, I've, I've always kind of liked the uh, the Nasties a good bit. Um, but I, I didn't think they looked too good here. Uh, I've kind of always liked them as sort of a sloppy, brawling-type group, and uh, I know for a fact I love their the match on the next show coming up, but uh, I was a little disappointed with this debut here because they didn't seem to bump as much as they do or kind of be really as reckless as they are sometimes. Uh, and then the Nasties, they had a very short face and peril segment on uh, Terry Taylor, I mean, it was over almost really before it began, uh, and he immediately tagged out. I mean, this match only went seven minutes overall, but uh, Fulton was able. Fulton may actually be my favorite person in this match, which kind of surprised me because he had a, a nice German suplex, which uh, Sags broke up, and then uh, almost immediately after, Sags hit the big elbow drop from the top after a power slam for Knobs, and they end up pull, uh, pinning Fulton. Uh, I mean, it was kind of a weird structured match where he had the nasties coming in, but uh, they, they I wouldn't say, you know, at all they got much of a shine in any way. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought it was a hot little match, this, uh, surprisingly. Like, it wasn't... Uh, I'm not a fan of Terry Taylor generally, but I thought he was, um, pardon the pun, but terrific in this match. Um it was almost like he, it was tailor-made for him to shine. Um, it was, yeah, unusual. German suplex on Sags. That's not something you see every day. Um, I think Jackie Fulton gets a bad rap, really. Um, he's typically thought of as not being very good, right? Yeah, um, well, he's pretty short-lived. Like, his career feels pretty short-lived overall. He looked all right here. I, I thought Meltzer's a bit stingy. A, quarter, a star and three quarters, he goes for this. Yeah, Wade goes a star and a half, and uh, I'd, I'd go as two stars, but I didn't think it was, you know, anything more than decent. Uh, yeah, I, I go along with that. I, I think one and three quarters is a bit stingy for this. I, I was all right. Probably yeah, the- I'm looking up uh, Matt Petticord, and he went two and three quarters, so he liked this match quite a bit, too. Wow, two and two and three quarters. Yes, uh, two and three quarters. That's that's quite high, Matt. Yeah, but... he's been uh, he's been right on line with uh, the other ratings so but, far. 
but I think like I I do get what if he was giving that rating out as he if he was doing the reviews uh, and giving out the ratings as he was watching the show, I can yeah. I can kind of understand that because this show to this point has been totally shit. So it's like this match didn't completely suck. So it, I can see it being bumped up a bit just 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 because of that, you know. Yeah, this and the opener are both fine matches, but again, I mean, again, I think what we're seeing is these were a lot of, I mean, this was what, the fourth match, and we were about 45 minutes into the show, so a lot of quick wham-bam matches that just don't resonate or are very good. Well, I mean, the crowd didn't care about the Rotunda match, they didn't care about the Master Blasters match. And I don't really think they cared about this one that much either. Yeah, too many debuts. I mean, I don't know. I mean, North Carolina, I wouldn't think, would be too familiar with the Nasty Boys. No. No. And they were, it's not like they were a big team at this point either. Yeah, I mean, they they had their run in the AWA, but again, that was when the AWA was on the decline, so. Yeah, I mean, that's only a tiny little step up from working the indies, in my, in my view. Right. Um... Another debutant here. I think this is a one-shot for him. Wild Bill, Ir- Bill Irwin taking on Tommy Rich. Irwin is uh, cracking the whip at the start of this match. And Rich has got a new haircut. You didn't want to talk about the uh, great Sid promo? Oh, oh God, yeah. Uh, Tony Schiavone's with Sid, <laughs> uh, who's in heel mode and is getting booed. He tells the fans to shut up and he wants the world title. Ends it with Sid rules. At the end. Sid rules, yeah. <laughs> did what did you think of this? Uh, it it sucked. That's. Do, do, do you, I, know, I, I know there were some guys, and some guys probably who even listen to the show who like Sid on the mic, who like Sid as a character. Are you one of them, Chad? Um, I'll, I I kind of like the psycho character when he went that way. Uh, when he started calling everybody little man, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, not right now. No, I think he would have been best served wearing his tux or whatever and looking like a badass. I I I think that um they should have stuck Ole with him at all times doing this and essentially have uh Ole as the mouthpiece. Right. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh Irwin with his whip, uh wildfire rich coming out. Also in Confederate flag colours tonight. Um any thoughts on this? Another reasonably quick match? Yeah, this is weird. I don't... I mean, Wild Bill Irwin is one of them people that, like... He kind of bounces around and shows up at these weird junctures. And I never understand why. Like, I don't understand what the draw is. Uh, I mean, the fact that he gets a job with the WWF in 1996, like, blows me away. And I'm also, like, not even positive that this is the last time we see him. So that shows how kind of uh, random he is. I can, I can almost guarantee you we see uh, Irwin again several, yeah, think, several times. Yeah, I think he does show up, I know, a couple more times. So it's it's just weird to me how he sort of pops up. And I don't think he's been good in really any footage I've seen anywhere. No, I, I always said that Doug Summers is the definition of a journeyman. I actually think that Bill Irwin may be the absolute perfect example of who would... Right, like, right. He, he is your bona fide journeyman right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, this was no good. I mean, this was not a good match at all. 
Uh, I mean, again, there's just not a lot of story here. Rich kind of botches a headlock takeover. And, uh, I mean, there's just, it's just a lot of kind of back and forth. Rich gets a nice reversal into a sleeper and he ends up winning with the Thez press in five minutes. It was nice to see him get a win, wasn't it? Yeah, that was probably your main highlight takeaway. So. <sighs> this is a depressing show, isn't it? <laughs> what the it's, f- it's not a good, I mean, this was, it, if you want to talk about like a whatever match, this was certainly one of them. I mean, this was just like, okay, I mean, this. Should have been on a random WCW Saturday night. It doesn't feel like a clash match at all. Star and a half for that. Uh, that's exactly what Keller gave it. I went lower. I went a star for that one. And uh, uh, Petty Cord went the same star and a half. So I got nothing. I'm not even going to rate this. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> um, more interesting than that is that we get our top tens. I, yeah. I, I always love this, the top 10s. So, top 10 singles wrestlers. Number 10, Buddy Landell. I, I couldn't believe that. Number 10, Buddy Landell. <laughs> Number 9, Tommy Rich. Number 8, Junkyard Dog. Number 7, Brian Pillman. Number 6, Stan Hansen. Number 5, Sid. Number 4, Barry Windham. Really high, uh, considering yeah, what we've he seen hasn't him done in. nothing, yeah. Number 3, Arn. Uh, TV champ. Right. Um, when was the last time he defended that? Mm, I don't know how often he was defending on TV, but it doesn't feel like a lot. That that that's a title that seems to have disappeared from the picture. Yeah, his his reign really sputters out. He has a very hot like January when he wins the belt, but uh, it sputters out pretty quickly after that. Number two is Ric Flair, and the number one contender for the world title held by Sting is Lex Luger the US champion and then the tag teams oh god (laughs) number 10 Mike Rotunda and Tim Horner who didn't even tag up on this show right Um, JYD and El Giante number 9 now I've been told off my pronunciation of uh, that uh, name am I saying it wrong uh, El Gigante. El, Gi- El Gigante. Yeah. I think I'm saying it right. Okay. I think you've said it about eight different ways. <laughs> I, I know. I, I never know how to say it. I'm going to call him Giant Gonzalez. I was like, there you go. <laughs> um, Brian Pillman and the Z-Man are number eight. The SST still knocking around at number seven. The Freebirds at number six. The Southern Boys at number five. The Midnight Express at number four. Horsemen, who are doesn't specify that any two members of the Horsemen at number three, yeah. the Rock and Roll Express at number two, very high rating for them, and the Steiner Brothers are and U.S. Uh, tag champs, of course, are the number one contenders for Doom's title. Um, so uh, the story there is that the depth chart is all right up until about four or five, and then just drops off a cliff, right? Right. In, in right. both. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tony Schiavone's with Stan Hansen, who's got the chewing tobacco. <laughs> he, yeah. he is very pissed off at being ranked at number six in the top ten. He says, I've never been six to anything in my life. I've never been six to my wife. A <laughs> 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 very funny promo. Um, and probably the highlight of the show for me so far. <laughs> uh, 
what does he mean? I, I, it was funny. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. It, but, yeah. it, it was funny, but I um I don't know really know why I'm laughing. <laughs> um. Okay. And now, <laughs> God, Bambi takes on Susan Sexton. Yes. What the um, hell is it? What What is this? I mean, I'm not sure. Is this the first women's match we've seen? Period. In these shows. Um, I couldn't think of one right offhand, but I didn't do the research. Uh, I was about to say, didn't we see Lalani Kai back in 1985 or something? But I don't think we did. Yeah, Miss Atlanta Lively, I know we saw, but... <laughs> Miss Atlanta Lively, yeah. Uh, I, I want to... I wouldn't be surprised if there was a woman's match on one of the early Starcades that we've yeah. completely forgotten about, but... Yeah. I can't remember it offhand. Um, Sexton is from Australia, we're told. And um, this may be one just for the UK listeners, but to me, she looks a hell of a lot like Lou Kelly from Prisoner Cell Block H. Um, That was an Australian uh, soap, Chad, that aired here right after WCW at like three in the morning, and I used to watch it. And it was about uh, a women's prison. Um, basically in Australia and they called each other Sheila and stuff. I used to watch it. Uh, but okay. Sexton looks like she could have been in that show. So, um, which isn't saying a lot for her. And uh, Bob Coddle in a rather pervy manner says, I understand the winner of this gets a dinner date with you, Jim. Yeah, that was a little ridiculous. <laughs> Coddle was at his uh, very uh, sexist self here. Uh, I mean, this match is, um, there's just nothing to say. It's nothing but two ladies wrestlers kind of doing basic holds for a few minutes and then Sexton reverses a cradle for the pin. I mean, I I really don't know what you can say beyond that. The crowd was as dead as they could be. The action wasn't very good at all. Uh, They kind of run into each other and stop and start and then Sexton pins her. So it's another absolutely whatever type match that you just don't know why was on this show. The the crowd absolutely shot all over this as well. Oh yeah, this crowd had no, uh, didn't care at all. I I actually thought Sexton looked like a decent technical wrestler at different points. Yeah, well she did the leg scissors and then crossed it over to the headlock, but I I mean it was, that was okay, but... uh, I, I didn't think this was good. This is a three quarters of a star from from Meltzer, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to rate this personally. But um, I I have to say that is this like the nadir that like the lowest possible point for women's wrestling in the United States? What the fuck is this? Um, yeah, I mean, 1990 is pretty pretty dreadful. But when, uh, when does Alundra Alundra Blaze uh, come about? Is she quite a lot later? Well, she's Medusa, you know, in the Dangerous Alliance. But, yeah, but she's does, not does, exactly wrestling. Does Medusa all. wrestle? She doesn't, does she? No, very limited. So it's it's a pretty tough go until probably 96, really, as far as WCW is concerned. I did do a little reading around the uh, LPWA title. And mm-hmm. uh, this was kind of like a, like a kind of independent women's promotion who leased out their workers to other promotions right if they wanted to have like a woman's match on the show right right or have the title defended 
Um, and I, I guess that was the deal here. I guess whoever was selling for the LPWA said, right, WCW will give you uh, Bambi versus Sexton if you want it. Yeah, this is like their touring match. So, what, what a debut. I'd, I'd probably give this uh, about a half a star. Uh, Meltzer says that if women really want to get over in the United States, they have to do something that stuns the crowd. Like the yeah. jump, like the jumping bomb angels, for example. I agree with that. Yeah, well, they, 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 I think they've got two possible ways of uh, of um, getting over with the crowd. One is to just be all over the place, like the jumping bomb angels, who really do stand out even now if you watch those cards. Um, or TNA, they're, they're the only two routes you can go. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, at least it was better than. Um, the killer Debbie, the killer Tomato versus Sherry, right? It, it was better than that match. So that's... Christ. Uh, and but uh, Bambi was the challenger, right? I did have a little look at to see if Bambi had much of a career, and she she didn't. Really yeah, much. I didn't see uh, much for that. So I guess Sexton won the. No, yeah, Sexton retained the belt here. So. Yeah, I, no, Sexton was the champ of that L. She was the champ for a while, like. Okay. Um, Steiners now taking on the Maximum Overdrive, who are J.W. Storm and Tim Hunt for the U.S. belts. Who are these guys now? Yeah, these are guys that you just, uh, I mean, they there's not hardly anything on either one of them. Uh, neither one was around for very long. Uh, which you could see evidence of in this match. And so this is another, uh, quite frankly, big head-scratcher in this show that you have one of your top tag teams, probably your top two tag team with Doom and the Steiners, and uh, put them in there against these two guys. I don't know if they thought they would... uh, I don't really know what the reasoning is because this is a squash match for the Steiners. I mean, that's all this is at six minutes. Overdrive are billed as Hunter, that's Tim Hunt, and Silencer, Jeff Warner. Yeah. Um. So, oh, I thought the Steiners looked pretty cool in their Michigan uh, college jackets coming out. Yes, they and, both uh, had the Letterman's. As, 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 we've, uh, as we've discussed uh, before, Chad, it's one of my dreams to get one of those jackets. Uh, <laughs> they're difficult to find in this country, though. <laughs> we've got a big uh, belly-to-back... Uh, by Scott on the silencer and um, pretty sloppy looking power slam by Rick. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you see the DDT from the top rope? Chad? Yes. The finisher. Yeah, that was, that was cool. So, uh, so Rick had, I don't even know which one it was, but he was on his shoulders and then, uh, and then Scott came off the uh, top rope with a DDT which was which that was a really cool move. I mean, this like I said, this was kind of like a squash match for the Steiners, but everything looked a little off and a little reckless, and Maximum Overdrive uh, did not look very good at all. And uh, I, I didn't think this match was that good at all, really. Meltzer ragged on the DDT for looking dangerous, uh, star and a half from him. Yeah. Uh, I don't, ca- I don't care what anyone says, though. I think it's cool to watch the signers bust out the moves versus the jobbers. Um, so, 
Like yeah, this... but I, I was just saying, like on a class show, like one of your featured TV shows. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know. This didn't to me seem like it was a worthwhile endeavor. I mean, the crowd, we will say, was into it or into the Steiners, but. I I mean I I think I may have even would have preferred them versus the Freebirds or something for eight minutes. Um, Meltzer also says that it wasn't as good as a typical Steiner squash match on TV against average jobbers since the Steiners do more hot moves against jobbers and jobbers are far better bumpers than these two. Yeah, they were not good bumpers. I'll agree with that. Um, okay. Struggling hard to find any highlights on the show so far. Yes, it's been atrocious. Yes. yes. Um, okay, Stan Hansen taking on the Z-Man. Um, Zenk is falling into one of my favorite roles now for him, which is just getting the shit kicked out of his head. Straight <laughs> <laughs> jobber. That's the best role for him. Just have the crap beaten out of you by Vader or Hansen. Best possible role for Zeng. Yeah, this is two shows back to back for him, and uh, this was effective too as a build up for Hanson. I thought he looked good here. Uh, I mean, that's all this is is Hanson beating up the Z Man, and uh, he wins in three minutes. So uh, I don't, I don't even know if you can say much more. I mean, he ends up giving the lariat and uh, has a bunch of elbows and kind of some nasty offense, and really clubbed him on the lariat so five stars hansen looked good five stars <laughs> five, five stars <laughs> just seeing. i hate i really don't like zeng a lot so um one little fun thing did you see how quickly capetta left the ring when sanson uh, came in with a bell that was uh funny yeah that was nice um uh coddle there are bears in the woods that are tamer than this guy um Ross mentions that he played um, for the Colts. Um, he played by the Colts, one of the most highly paid guys in the sport, uh, especially in Japan. Uh, that's um, Ross on uh, Hanson. Um, Larry looked awesome. Took his head off. Yeah. Good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, for a three-minute squash, it served its purpose. And uh, even during that three minutes, we got a little promo with Luger. <laughs> In the yes. locker room. Yes. Uh, so we get a clip back to Wrestle War 90 now, um, where Shivani, um, Shivani's with Luger, and they're really, really getting the, the idea over of the top 10 here and the hierarchy of the world title, which I actually like. I, I always liked the, the top 10 for WCW. Mm-hmm. I think it was a good thing that they did for a couple of years there. Yes. Um, and now it's time for. Ric Flair versus Lex Luger. Can anything get us out of this trough that we're in? Uh, we get a new video package for Flair. Um, and it almost brought a tear to my eye to see the greatness, the legend that is. Um, I love uh, I love watching highlight reels of Flair. <laughs> I, could, I could probably sit and just watch highlight reels on YouTube all day <laughs> of Flair. Um, and the crowd really perks up for this. They're hot, hot, hot. Um, so, Chad. Yeah, I think, uh, this is, oh, this is probably, what, about the sixth time we've seen this match, Parv, and this is, uh, a series that I've come to really adore, and this is, uh, we'll probably watch, they had a May match on TV that we'll watch on our 1990 TV, but I feel like this is kind of the end 
of really their greatness as a rivalry. The 1996 series, I don't think, uh, is anything great. 95, 96 series. Uh, and then they even actually, I think, fight a little bit in 2000. But uh, I thought this was very good. And if you want to try to sh- save the show, this was the way to do it. Where uh, Luger got the, the early advantage given power slams to Flair. And uh, Flair was begging off. And then uh, finally Flair was able to take over on the advantage. And uh, after Luger missed the high elbow and he really kind of went to town, this was some great kind of frantic Flair kicking, uh, taking him on the outside, really putting him up against the guardrail. Uh, his, his strikes look very stiff. So I thought this was a really good flair on top, and he was actually on offense for a really long time. This match goes about 16 minutes altogether, and flair was on offense for a while. He ends up going after the leg at one point, kicks the leg. Uh, he attacks the cameraman. This really feels like one of the better flair performances since the uh, first part of the year. And uh, the, the finish is kind of crappy, where Luger makes his comeback, and... Uh, really seems to kind of be almost getting the definitive win over him, and then Hanson comes out and attacks him for the DQ, wraps the bullwhip over him, and uh, chokes him out. They were actually fighting on the floor, Flair and Luger, so they kind of teased the count out there. But, uh, but overall, I thought this match was very, very good. Very good stuff. Yeah, um, my big note here is that this match almost felt to me like a kind of greatest hits package of all of their other previous matches so far. It's like all the all like some of the best bits of all their previous matches all put together. Because um, we got little callbacks to them every once in a while. Um, we got like the military press by Luger um, at the start, which made me actually think right back to their 88 matches. Um, you know, where he was doing like the lion man kind of posing, um, yes. which he was doing a lot, uh, in 88. Um, we got, uh, lots of really cool clotheslines by Luger. Um, and then a classic kind of, so th- there was a lot of just really classic spots like, uh, Luger hit the clothesline and then, um, there we got some like flair begging off and it just made me think like, it, it just felt like a greatest hits thing, you know, that we'd seen all of these bits before. It was still great to see them all again, you know. Um, we got two massive chops from Luger, thunderous clothesline uh, by Luger, and Flair seemed like he was really hurt. He seemed like he was just... It felt like he... Um, I was. I wrote in my notes, is this a legit injury? Because it looked like he dislocated his shoulder. But he was just playing possum all along, and he fooled, he fooled me uh, too. And uh, we get a dirtiest player in the game call by Ross, uh, I noticed, as Flair suckered uh, Luger in there uh, as he was playing possum. Um, Ross mentions that Flair first won the US title from Bobo Brazil back in 1977. So Bobo got a mention. Um, Ross was actually pretty alive for this match. He, he said that Flair's got a PhD inside that s- squared circle and he's giving Luger an education, which I thought was a great call. Um, he also uh, managed to um, crowbar in his uh, his line on um, Luger's grade point average by calling him a thinking man's ref. He always gets that grade point average in every single match. Um, 
uh, massive chops. I, I, there was a little moment where I loved where um, Flair was go went. He did like a kick to the knee and then a chop and then a kick to the knee and then a chop and then a kick to the knee and a chop. I thought that was a really cool bit from him that we hadn't seen before. Um, yeah, great match. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, we got the handsome beat down at the end for good measure. Um, four and a half stars from me, Chad. Oh, four and a half. Oh, yeah. that's, uh, that's a little higher than me. Yeah. I really think this is up there with the best of them. With the best. So, uh, I guess we should talk about that then. So you think probably uh, as good as Wrestle War, or a little bit below for you? Or uh, no, Wrestle Wrestle War is is a, a four and three quarter match for me. I think it's borderline five star that match. I think it's tremendous. Um, and then. I would put it up there with their eighty-eight matches, though easy. Okay. And uh, which is the which is the one where the where the uh, the knee comes out with the pin for at the end there? Is that's the uh, Starcade? Yeah, I'd put that Starcade match second. Yeah, Starcade. Uh, I know we both liked a lot better uh, than. I've got this ahead of uh, Great American Bash eighty-eight though. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Uh, when I watched this with my 90 watching, I only gave it like three and a half stars. Uh, I think I'd raise it a little bit. Um, probably four stars is as high as I'd go, though, um, for it. But, yeah, I think it's a great match. And really in the context of this card, I think it helps it. Because just of all the crap you see on the whole card, and then to get this kind of gem within that uh, really kind of amplifies it even more. Um, Meltzer went three and three quarters there, Chad. Yeah, and that's what uh, that's what Keller went as well. I, the, the only thing I'll say with this is that this is the first match I reckon we've seen where if you just look at Flair's body, he, he's showing the earliest signs of age now, I think. Yeah, he looks a little older here. Yeah, um, He looks now for the first time past his peak. Um, whereas if you think of his body in those... 89 matches against Steamboat just one year earlier. Um, he didn't look like that. So, um, yeah, uh, d- definitely one of the best matches uh, we've seen for a while. Um, and I, I prefer it to that last match between these because they, they've got another match, haven't they? Oh, well, the Capital Combat cage match. Yeah, I, I yeah. prefer it to the cage match as well. Yeah, I find this one for me a little comparable to their Starcade 89 match. Uh, in the Ironman tournament. I think I like this one a little bit better overall, but uh, yeah, they have a really good series. I mean, we're talking now, that's probably four to five matches between them that I would have hovering around the three and a half to three and three quarters up to four and three quarters range. So, yeah, pretty good series. Yeah, I, I actually um, prefer Luga... Luger as a worker as a heel um, but I think because Flair spent so much of this match on uh, offense anyway it didn't really matter so much in this um, in this match right um, anyway uh, Tony Schiavone now uh, asks who is the black scorpion uh, so we have some comments from him and uh He's with the Black Scorpion. Yes. <laughs> uh, I should mention. And uh, this is a ridiculous moment where we get this kind of hushed 
kind of voice, uh, disguised voice. Yeah. He says, Sting, if you can beat me, I'll tell you who I am. Uh, any comments? Uh, well, this is, when you think wrestle crap, I think Black Scorpion's one of the, uh, kind of first things that come to mind, and, uh, he certainly lives up to the billing for me. I, I don't see how anybody thought this was a good idea. Uh, it doesn't work in execution. It's just dreadful. So, Sting now, taking on the Black Scorpion. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Scorpion comes out under a robe and walks slowly to the ring. Sting comes out, looking concerned. The Scorpion stands motionless. He derobes. I note it's definitely not Jack Victory. <laughs> uh, Scorpion attacks. Um, and I said, he doesn't look awful. <laughs> no. The actual, uh, I would say the bell to bell of this is the best part of it. Uh, because the scorpion, um, do we want to say who is actually under the mask here? Oh, well, it's uh, where the big boys play favorites, Al Perez. Right. So uh, this is our first look at Big Al uh, in a while. And there's actually some kind of speculation that he was supposed to be the big reveal or whatever. Um, and actually, you know, be the scorpion, not just a vehicle for this match. But, uh, yeah, I think he does a pretty good job here. And, uh getting an early control sequence on Sting and then letting Sting come back, which leads us to our finish, if you want to describe that uh, kind of train wreck part. Um, can you do it? <laughs> what what hap- um, Essentially, uh, what does happen here? Um, I, I've got a nether black scorpion stands on the ramp. Yes. And Sting can't believe it. Um. Yeah, so, well, he essentially, Sting wins, but there's another Black Scorpion, so this was, this was like a test, or whatever, or or a mind game. I I don't, I don't even know if they posed it as like a mirage, or just like a mind game by the Black Scorpion, to where the, uh, the other Black Scorpion's the true one, it's, it's, it's a train wreck. I mean, it really is. You come off a real NWA feeling match, uh, kind of a glory day classic match with Flair versus Luger to come to this cartoon carny, uh, hokey stuff with Steam versus a Scorpion. And it's, it's a complete downer. Um, I, I, I don't even know. Kind of what to say, I mean, because it's a match, I might rank it at like two stars just for the eight minutes they bounced around in there. But as an overall angle, and the first kind of big angle with Sting, because now, you know, going into the Halloween Habit, you have Sting versus Sid. So that's the big uh, main event program, but he also has this surrounding Black Scorpion thing, and the viewer doesn't know if they're intertwined. And it just feels like WCW's throwing as much crap at the wall and seeing what would stick. So it, it's an atrocity overall. Meltzer has a couple of notes here. He says that Perez was told to disguise his ring style so his identity wouldn't be known. But his ring style isn't well known enough to begin with. So it right. wouldn't have made a difference at all. Um, plus, he's not versatile, versatile enough to change, uh, change it and still put it together. Um, and he he said that watching the match, even though he knew it was Perez, it looked like they just found some muscular guy with maybe one year's experience because nothing happened. 
Um, and do you know who the other Black Scorpion is? No, who is the other one? It's Dave Sheldon, the Angel of Death. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did know that. I actually did know that, actually. Yeah, so this is a, uh, I mean, really, I mean, in the promos leading up to this of the Black Scorpion, when he first arrives, it's it's Ollie doing the voice. Yeah. Uh, so there's all, they, you could tell by this point, they didn't know what they were doing and, uh, it only gets worse from here, which if you can believe that. Um, yeah, there was one little line here. Um, Jim Ross said there's a lot of regional champions, but there's only one world champion. Yeah. Was was that a dig in New York, do you think? Um, I mean, maybe, I mean, that sounds like kind of a Ross type line, but, uh. I mean, I don't know how Sting beating whatever this was really solidifies himself as the one world champion either. Um, he said the angle is too similar to Luger Hansen, uh, which just happened 15 minutes earlier, uh, and looked on TV like a desperation angle with no direction. Yeah, which, uh, agreed. Which I think more or less sums it up. I will say, though, that as terrible as the Black Scorpion angle is playing out here, I do think, and this is going to sound ridiculous, I I think that it had potential if they, if they hadn't made it such a shit show. Like, it's actually quite, could be quite compelling if you think about it. Like, um, you know, sending out a fake guy, pulling, like, pulling switches, playing mind games. It could be good if, if, the, if they didn't, like... You know, if you don't bring out Al Perez and bloody the Angel of like, make it good people. You know, it could be awesome. Uh, I mean, I think that's very hard. I can't even really think in a wrestling context when that's been executed well, though, because even like the Undertaker Ministry stuff is so ridiculous and hokey. Um, I mean, I think as, when they talk about like the the promos leading up about the 1986 and Sting knew him and it was somebody's from Sting's past, like, I mean, really, the person you think about is the Ultimate Warrior. So if, it, if the payoff would have been somehow the Ultimate Warrior, uh, that could have been cool, maybe. But I, I don't, I think they just sort of had a basic concept and didn't really know how to get there uh, overall. And then just, you'll see with the conclusion, they just sort of threw in the towel with what they ended up doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, is there a way to make it work? I reckon it could have been, right, if there had been a reveal that meant something. Yes. Right? I think the reveal's the key, and, I mean, the magic tricks need to go. Like, when he does all the magic tricks and mind games and stuff like that, and the the pre-produced interviews with the eerie music, like, that stuff is never going to look great. But even with, like, a really cool reveal... Uh, would have been nice, but once they, well, I mean, once the Scorpion starts talking about 1986, it's almost like he goes down such a rabbit hole that you don't, I mean, they can't really recover. They, they paint themselves into a corner, really, didn't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah. It, in fact, like, could they have used, in a weird way, couldn't they have used this to maybe bring Vader in? That could have been cool. Like, it wouldn't have oh. been, it wouldn't have been very good as a reveal, but it would have been like, ooh, who's this guy? Yes, yeah, I mean, that's possible. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, like, or, like, there, there, there are ways that you could go with it that would, wouldn't have made it 
such a notoriously bad angle. I don't think that the angle itself had to have been awful, is what I'm saying. It's not it's not that the idea itself is appalling. It's that the execution was bad every step yeah, of the way. Yeah, even uh, like Eddie Gilbert would have been cool because him and Sting had a uh, relationship in, Min- in uh, Mid-South. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Or, um, you know, why not make it Bill Irwin? Yeah, well. <laughs> and that can be this week's question for the listeners. Can you come up with any ideas of how to make the black scorpion angle work? I think it's safe to say this is right down there with some of the worst, worst shit that we've watched so far. Yeah, Chad. probably a bunkhouse stampede. Uh, I mean, Clash 3 is not a good show overall, and I don't think any match on Clash 3 is as good as Luger versus Flair, even the Sting-Wendell match. Um, but yeah, this is right up there. This is this is a bad show. So let's uh, think about um, end show awards then. This is going to be difficult. Uh, I think match of the night is easy. Yes, yes. Uh, Definitely Flair versus Luger. MVP. Uh, MVP, I'm going to go back to my old standard Ric Flair here. Um, I think we see, a, like I said, a pretty rejuvenated Flair for one night only. Um, and I thought he brought the goods versus Luger and made that match even. I, I like your greatest hits analogy, but I thought like him constantly taking the action to the outside and being really the aggressor and pretty aggressive throughout the match made the match feel different and uh i commend him for that no absolutely i did get the feeling that they were trying to rebuild flair here they were trying to get flair over again in a weird way um yeah i'm gonna have to go with flair too uh the old stand uh the flair match is a match of the night and flair's the mvp big surprise um so uh Embarrassment of riches for the Billy Graham Award this evening. Who is the worst worker on the card? Uh, I mean, I think as bad as everybody was, not one person quit after the show. It's up for Master Blaster Iron. (laughs) So that has to be my winner, and he was dreadful in that match. So he's my Billy Graham winner. Master Blaster Iron. Yeah. And I'm going to go with... It's tempting to go with Jimmy Garvin, but I can't justify that, really. Um, I actually thought that uh, Landell was pretty appalling. Yes, Landell was bad. Um, But I think I'm going to go with Tim Horner, actually. Oh. I thought Tim Horner wasn't very good in that match either, Um, especially as that match was meant to be getting the Master Blasters over, and he was just a bit too... I don't know, I th- thought he was trying to... I thought he was going to do the business for himself a little bit there <laughs> in his in his two twenty second shine moment. Um, so I'm going to give it to Tim Horner. I wish the horseman had broke, broken his leg. So, <laughs> God. Um, so, uh, did we have any one answer the... I saw we had lots of comments for the last show, Chad, but did anyone answer the um, question... Uh, I don't think they did, did they? I'm not around the uh, computer, but I, let me, I don't... Uh, let me just have a quick look. If nobody uh, if nobody answers the question, nobody's comments get gets read out. 
that's our rule. That's our, that's our new rule. That's, yes. that's our house rule here. I'm just having a look. Um, so, Great American Bash 90. Our question was, um, between the, the Luger match, what was it, between the it Sting? basically comparing Sting's title win to uh, Starcade 83 and then also the Warrior. I actually think our friend Dusty's Pencil might have had a little bit on that in his post, if you can... Right, I'm having get... a look. There's lots of people talking here, but... Um... And I will oh, say yeah. we did get some new comments. So oh, we you. did. Uh, thank you for those comments. Uh, Parv, you're a WWF, Mark. Not quite true, but... We're pretty true. Do you think you think that is true? Um, yeah, yeah. But I hate, accurate. he said, so this is our friend Dusty's Pencil, also known as NWA fan, back in yeah. the, he's one of the guys who's been with us uh, for a long time. Right. He said, um, I, I hate, and I do mean hate to agree with you, but the Warrior win was bigger, <laughs> because A, the two had never wrestled, and B, yeah. Hogan hadn't lost a match in so long that it made it bigger. The Sting win was still huge at the time, though. So, there we go. And, um, I think he's the only person who actually um, answered it. Although I do seem to recall on maybe on the Facebook thing, somebody had a go of answering that at some point. Um, we did get some comments from Evil Jim Hurd here, I noticed. I wonder who that is. I have my theory as to who who that might be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, a, a, another friend of ours, Cheap, Cheap Shot, who's a reasonably new poster. Uh, who we may be doing a, a, a show with next month, uh, a, a special chat, right? Uh, right. But he uh, he says I loved, I liked at least the marathon Gordon Soli catch up. So yeah. So uh, uh, Alan, Alan is his name. Uh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be like I know? Uh, I know the Titans guys have actually been sending plants in uh, anti mailbag posts. To try to oh, get it, to try to get it off the air, so I, I don't know. About that. <laughs> are, you, are you now actively trying to get the solely stuff off the uh, off off the yeah, airwaves? There may, there may be a campaign uh, made for anti solely. Okay, uh, and Mr. BB Rogers was another new poster there. Yes, yes. So thanks, uh, thanks for that, and also thanks to Derek, who was uh, who was our guest on that last. Um, show one of the more controversial guests we've had chad i think it's fair to say but uh i thought it's good it's good that people have different points of view yeah i think he has a very uh, different point of view uh, but somebody that's been watching wrestling for a while and that's i mean that's what i come to like um i mean i would say his view uh he's i mean he's kind of an interesting character in that he has watched some japanese stuff too so uh definitely kind of off the beaten path in a lot of opinions but i enjoyed it so yeah, and uh, I should give a, our buddy James here. I forgot about this. Um, he picked out... A, do you remember uh, when Soli mentioned Charlie Lay? Right. Uh, he picked out a passage out of Stan Hansen's book, The Last Outlaw. This is from pages 79 to 80. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. He dug up this information about Charlie uh, Lay. Um, I would also like to mention a great character named Charlie Lay. This is a quote from Hansen now. Charlie was an old-timer who ran the front desk in the wrestling office and set up rides for everybody. Uh, he'd been doing that for the Florida office for almost two decades. Charlie didn't waste words. When I called the office in Florida, Charlie would answer the phone, and I would say things like, this is Stan Hansen, I need a ride to Miami tonight. 
In his slow, monotone voice, he would say four o'clock with Paul and Bob, and he would hang up, and that was it. Nothing more, nothing less. He was often imitated by the boys. No matter how much of a hurry someone was in, or how urgent their need was to talk to somebody, he was so slow in both actions, tone and voice. It irritated some people because he never got in a hurry. And 20 years later, I really got to know him well, uh, when we were both living in Mississippi, uh, where he had grown up years before. So there's all the Charlie Lay detail you could ever want. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, well... Thank you very much, Chad. And what, what are we doing next time? Uh, next time we're going to be doing a Halloween Havoc 1990, which is a show I'm looking forward to. And we have Solomon back. Uh, Starcade 87 was his last appearance. Uh, so it's been a while, almost a whole calendar year for us uh, since we last talked to him. But he'll be on with us for Halloween Havoc 1990. And uh, I guess we should say uh, uh, we apologize at the beginning about this show. and We're not positive when uh, that show will happen because of Thanksgiving and some stuff kind of going on around the holidays. Right, and, and Solomon is on the West Coast as well, which makes, right. uh, which makes our time swing massive between right. me here in the UK, you there in Georgia, and him in uh, on the West Coast. So, right. But uh, yeah, I, Solomon's another guy who has a different point of view, I think. Yes. He, uh, he's one guy, for example, who likes Bruiser Brody, I know. Right, right, yep, he so, does. I uh, look forward to talking to him again and uh, and you again next time, Chad. Okay, see you, Parv. Bye, Chad. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>